0: Stargazing doesn't have to be boring. Not when you study sports stars. This, 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 this. It, it is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
1: on Sportsnet 59 the fan good evening everybody I'm Roger Lajoie with you until 9 30 this evening pardon me 10 o'clock tonight I forgot the Seattle Mariners they play at 10 o'clock their home game so I'll be with you until just before 10 p.m and the ball game comes your way look forward to chatting with you we're gonna talk some Blue Jays tonight little Raptors offseason news we'll check in on TFC and the Argos Josh Goldberg host of Jays talk gonna step in and join us and we'll play Damian Warner's interview earlier today. Great interview on SportsNet590Fans. So we have a full show for you, and we welcome your participation as we always do. And you can do that by text, email, or on Twitter. I'm at the Raj 590 on Twitter at the Raj 590 You can email Roger at sportsnet590.ca or text five ninety-five ninety. Name and location, please, if you are texting the program, and we love your feedback. And we're talking about a variety of things. And when, when you know, our, our text line is always open, always, obviously, email, Twitter, always available for you. So comment on whatever we're talking about. Love to hear from you, sports-related. And once again tonight, and already I think I might get a little bit of, uh, what do I say about this? Um, you know, pushback from people saying, ah, you know what, uh, let's not talk about COVID, let's not talk about uh, vaccines, let's not, you know, do any uh, of this kind of stuff. This is an important question, I think, tonight, though, and one that I think might really provide some real good information for the people that are making the decision. So the Winnipeg Jets, just a couple of days ago, I believe, made an announcement that they will not allow any fans into their arena unless they are double vaccinated, fully vaccinated fans only. And their rationale reason for this is that they want to conduct their business at full capacity. Not restricted capacity, full capacity. And the only way they're going to get away with doing that indoors, and let's face it, throughout the country, we have every province in the country is, is different in terms of its you know, uh, capabilities or how we're handling the pandemic and the Delta variant and how it's going on. So it's, it's different everywhere. But in Manitoba, in particular, they've made the decision, all right, you can have your full capacity, but only if everybody is fully vaccinated, period. So that's an interesting decision, and it's a decision every team in Canada has to make. Now, the Blue Jays had to make it, but the Blue Jays are going on limited capacity outdoor venue. That is very different from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, all of the other Canadian teams, the Habs, the Senators, The Jets, the Oilers, the Canucks, the Flames. All of them have to make these decisions. And what's really tough is none of us, you know, we got the predictions. We have the scientists weighing in, people talking about it. You know, we're trying to figure out and make decisions for two months from now. And this thing, as we have seen, this bloody nightmare of COVID we've been through for the last 17 months, evolves and changes all the time. But listen... If you're in the business, a hockey club, and you're trying to sell season tickets and maybe even groups. Remember those? Remember we used to go together as groups games? You're trying to sell those tickets. You need some clarity as to how you're going to operate your business come October. So the Jets got right in front of it very quickly, made the decision. We're playing a full capacity, but we realize that means full vaccinated only. Now, indoor uh, theater is uh, resuming. Um everywhere. And I don't want to start comparing the Canada, Canada, the United States, because it is very different. It is very different. This is a Canadian issue tonight. So here in Canada, as we continue to battle through this coronavirus pandemic, the NHL is starting its season in October. The NBA is starting its season in October. Let's leave the Jays out of it for the time being, because at the moment, they're an outdoor venue, as I said, at limited capacity, 15,000, 14,000 fans, whatever it is in a 50,000 outdoor stadium. This is indoors. So the question on Twitter is, the Jets have announced all fans attending NHL games must be fully vaccinated. Should all other teams do the same? Is that the way NHL and NBA teams should do their business? Because unlike the Blue Jays, they do not have a retractable roof. It is not an outdoor venue. It is not a large enough venue that you can still get 15,000 people in. And they want to make money, let's be honest. And they planned, to their credit, they want everyone to feel uncomfortable and uh, comfortable in the environment as well. So, and I'd like some comments on this. I'd still like to know those of you, because they're talking to season ticket holders and people buying tickets. So, are you cool going into the Raptors' home opener with full capacity and no restrictions on whether or not you've had your vaccinations? And I don't mean the kind of COVID screening we're seeing which is a joke in a lot of places. It is. It's a joke. People come in and say, oh, yeah, so uh, do you have any uh, COVID symptoms? "Uh, No. "Uh, Have you traveled? "Uh, No. Okay, go ahead. That's not screening. That's the equivalent of airport security screening going, excuse me, sir, are you carrying a bomb tonight? "Uh, No. "Uh, Do you have a knife? No. Okay, enjoy the flight. And that sounds like a bad joke, and maybe it is, but that's either you prove or you don't. This recommendation and and a, and a quick question so they want to do business and the Jets have come and said fully vaccinated only and the reason I'd like you to answer the poll question and give us your comment uh on text five ninety five ninety email roger at sportsnet 590.ca in addition to twitter uh at the roger 590 is so if you're a fan even and if you're answering yes or no and the vast majority of you are answering yes tell me why And if you're unvaccinated, do you think it's not fair to you to be denied admission to these places? And I would like to hear from you too. And by the way, the latest Ontario stats, 82% of Ontarians have taken at least one shot of the COVID vaccine, 82%. And 74, approaching 75% of us are fully vaccinated. So I know the way this poll is gonna go because the majority of you've taken the vaccines, I'm sure you'd feel more comfortable in the facility with only vaccinated people. But you know, folks, the sports business has to get back and running, not back and running, but continue running. It's a difficult challenge ahead. I know we're a little tired of talking about COVID, but I want to talk about it one more time on tonight's show, just via V LePoll. Fully vaccinated, say the Jets, or you don't get in. Good idea, bad idea. So far, eighty six point five percent of you are saying yes, fully vaccinated fans only. Thirteen point five percent are saying no. That's too restrictive. 148 votes in, lots of comments, lots of text. We will get to them, I promise, all the way through until 10 o'clock. Stephen Lung later in this hour, NBA editor at Sportsnet on the Raptors Summer League. But leading off the show to use the baseball parallels is Brendan Kuhn from Blue Jays Nation to talk about the Jays. Brendan, thanks very much for joining us. And Brendan, you know, this team has played so well and is in such an interesting race now. Every loss to a team behind him in the standings seems so terrible. But really, how bad is a loss to the Angels, especially when Otani is pitching?
2: Yeah, if you're going to lose one game in the series, uh, even with Burrios pitching yesterday, you kind of figured it would be the Otani start. Um, Really, the one that hurt the most was that first game in the doubleheader. Uh, That was a game you would have expected them to win. They had a lot of hits, couldn't uh, piece together the clutch hit. And uh, yeah, I mean, typically a split on a West Coast trip uh, in any series, regardless of the team, isn't a bad thing. But every team the Blue Jays are competing with right now uh, keep winning. So they need to be doing the same. But these West Coast trips, pretty typically uh, a challenge for the team, um, regardless of how good they are and what year it is. They're, they're quite often uh, not, not the best results for the Blue Jays.
1: Well, no, indeed, and that, and when you've got to catch up in the standings, uh, these games do get even more of a, a pronounced uh, a situation. So uh, 100% there. We'll see what happens, uh, Brendan. The biggest question along the Blue Jays, and I don't think it's a fair one these days, but um, especially the, the, the negative uh, folks in, in the crowd, is vlady Jr.'s continu- continuing scuffling uh, at the plate. Much has been done of it, now uh, th- hitting third in the order and what have you. He's 22 years old. He is still an MVP candidate. The season numbers are absolutely terrific, but now this sample size, this chunk of the season gets longer and longer. Your degree of concern of the way Vladdy's swinging the bat these days?
2: Yeah, it's short-term concern. Um, I, I don't think you can look at him at the plate and uh, pretend like he's comfortable up there or that he's you know hit in line drives and just happens to be getting out. Um, his at-bats are looking great. He looks like he's unsure of what pitch is coming more than he uh, did when things were going really well. Um, he's making a lot of weak contact, just kind of hitting these you know, dribblers to third base or to shortstop. Um, Vladdy in the past when he has struggled uh, is often hitting too many ground balls, but even still, those are really hard ground balls. And it seems like he's just not even barreling his ground balls right now. So it's weird to see um, and, and, you know, who knows what the factors are, right? Like if, if teams are pitching him differently, if it's just fatigue based on, you know, this is his first full 162 game stretch in the major leagues, um, coming off a short season last year and coming off an off season where he, you know, worked his tail off and good for him. Um, but this is now a very long stretch of like baseball every single day, physical activity every single day. Um, And and I can imagine that some guys just start in the dog days of August and you play some really hot weather games and and your body can start to just fail you a little bit. So, um, you know, I'm not worried about Vladdy long-term. I think the fact that we saw a very long, uh, sustained period of MVP caliber play is what we can project out long-term Vladdy to be. But right now he's in a funk and uh, I hope and expect him to get out of it. But certainly there haven't been any encouraging signs lately.
1: No, there hasn't, and uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. Brendan Kuhn is with us, Blue Jays Nation. I'm not too worried about Vladdy. I'm not worried about the offense of this team because the lineup is so good, and it it continues to be. And Brendan, my optimism around the Blue Jays really revolves around the starting pitching, despite Jose's problems uh, last night on the mound. Certainly not a quality start, not getting in uh, past uh, the uh, uh, fifth inning. The improvement in the starting pitching is making the bullpen all that much better because they're saving their arms. Uh, There's more help coming. Hopefully, Merriweather is back at some point. Um, Nate Pearson uh, certainly appears to be uh, getting closer to being back. So let's talk about the Blue Jays pitching for a moment. That was a concern in the first half, especially the back of that bullpen. Is it that much of a concern still?
2: Well, I think when you've got starters going deep in the games, it limits the exposure that your bad relievers have. And it lets you use guys like uh, Richards and Simber and, um, and Meza when he was healthy. Like, the, There's a group of arms here who none of which you look at and think they're star bullpen arms. And lots of them you could be like, oh, yeah, they're capable of a rough day or giving up a, a long home run or two. Um, but what the Jays did was they really raised the floor of the bullpen. They they stopped pitching for the most part, these really bad arms and these guys who you expected to be terrible. And they showed you who they were when they pitched. Um, and now they've got, you know, a collection of guys. It's not a good bullpen by any means, but there's more names there that you can feel good about. And as you mentioned, Pearson um, has a chance to, you know, a very, very high ceiling type of guy, like the Tampa Bay playoff game. He pitched in last year, he faced six rays and he struck out five of them. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to dream on there. And Merriweather, like you mentioned, he's working his way back. Um, both those guys are performance and injury risks. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if they can somehow both find their way back to the Blue Jays bullpen, all of a sudden you might feel good about them. And, and the bullpen might actually be able to be labeled as strength. And when you attack that onto a rotation, that's really impressive. Um, I was looking at it today, and it kind of feels like the Blue Jays have four number two starters. They, they might lack an ace type, a DeGrom type. But they got four guys right now who you could somewhat comfortably call a number two starter. And when you have an offense that the Blue Jays have, having four number two starters in your rotation, having you know a bullpen that is just okay, like that is a formula for a very good team, a very good roster. Um, and and this is one of the best teams in the American League. They've dug themselves a bit of a hole just to date, being in the standings a little further back than some of the teams. But this roster is capable of a run. We're experiencing one somewhat right now. Cooled off a little bit in Anaheim. This is a very good team and uh, a a team that lacks uh lacks holes. There's there's not too many bad pieces to to the current roster of the Blue Jays.
1: No, that's the best way to look at it. And that uh, starting nine uh, lineup, 1 to 9 or at least 1 to 7 or 8 uh every night uh, does some damage. So uh it is an exciting uh a time without question we got to talk a little bit about Otani just because you know it was last night's sample size and the kind of season he's having and listen Vladdy Jr. is having a, a season for the ages as well but once again here he goes six innings strikes out a six batter scatters three hits and adds a double and a walk at the plate and we know his home runs and he's back in the outfield next night um, this is just something incredible we're seeing with this guy that we haven't seen since Babe Ruth for heaven's sakes Brendan.
2: He's an absolute unicorn and he's a blast to watch. And and that's part of the regionalized nature of baseball where you, a lot of people are really big fans, but they hone in on their own team and they don't necessarily venture out and watch other games. And, and uh, you know, for, for everybody out in Toronto, there's a lot of 10 PM angels games and you're just not likely to stay up and watch that. But we've got one of the most incredible things that baseball has ever seen happening um, and we've almost normalized it now because we're, you know, this has been happening all year long. And, and Otani has had injury issues in the past. And he's had years where the pitching wasn't as great as the hitting. And, and um, you know, just dealt with this and that. And the Angels not letting him bat as frequently as he is now. And we just stumble into 2021. And all of a sudden, Otani is batting pretty much every day. He's one of the top five hitters in baseball probably while pitching to what I believe is a sub three ERA. Um, and throwing 100 miles an hour. It is it is incredible what we're seeing. You should win every type of Athlete of the Year award that exists, um, and, and we should cherish it. We should enjoy it because like we've seen with Otani in the past, who knows if he'll stay healthy? Who knows how sustainable this is? Um, but on top of the pitching, on top of the hitting, this is a guy who's stealing bases. This is a guy who's doing incredible base running too. Every aspect of the sport, he is not only doing, but he's performing incredibly well in. Um, and it's, it's a treat to watch. I, I don't like it when it's against the Blue Jays, but any other scenario, what a joy to watch Shohei Otani this year.
1: It is uh, something to behold. There's no question about it. So one thing that a split of the Angels series does is, and you know, when you're playing teams like the Angels and the Mariners, you're just hoping to you know, obviously win as many games as you can to solidify your own hold on the wild card. But it kind of makes them kind of sputter their heels. And despite Otani's great season and having Mike Trout for so many years when he's healthy, of course, um, the Angels just haven't been a playoff team and they aren't. So it just shows you that how much you need besides an individual iconic player like Sho and an all-world like Mike Trout, it's still not enough. Uh, for the angels to get into the playoffs and seattle doesn't have the star power they surprise people by hanging in but one thing brendan this series can do for the blue jays is kind of put the final nail in seattle's coffin as a as a team and i know you're always you don't need another reason to win a ball game but when you look at the seattle mariners and where they were hey a sweep in this series and the mariners can say bye-bye at least in terms of the jays in this wildcard hunt so these are important games too
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Mariners are one of those surprise teams this year. I, I'd say if you look at everybody from the Blue Jays and above them in the standings in the AL, you look at that and you're like, yeah, those are those are good to great teams. Like that, that's a collection of good teams. Once you get below the Blue Jays, you've got teams like the Angels and Mariners, and you're like, well, okay, their records are okay. Like they're they're probably not making playoff runs, but they they've done enough to hang in there this year. Um, and the Mariners have kind of done it on the backs of a out of nowhere great bullpen just one of those teams who didn't put much effort into their bullpen in the offseason, just collected, you know, some names, one $2 million contracts here and there. And all of a sudden all these guys are performing and throwing 97 and getting movement. And they've just randomly stumbled into a great bullpen. And that's kind of how they've been able to sustain this somewhat level of success because the run differential isn't great, um, but they win a lot of one run games and the blue Jays, despite me being very confident in saying that the blue Jays are a better team you're probably facing the three best starters the Mariners have in this series. And like I said, the bullpen is good. They, they had yesterday off, so the bullpen is rested. Um, and they've you know, got a, a few nice players J.P. Crawford, Kyle Seeger, Mitch Hanniger, uh, Ty France. They're not superstars, but they just got a collection of decent players. Um, so, yeah, the series isn't uh, isn't an easy one by any means. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to you right now from the Vancouver area, very upset that I, I'm not able to be at the series. I, you know, every year outside of COVID, I go to these games, and it's an absolute blast. So it's it's uh, too bad we don't have that typical uh, Toronto Blue Jays fan presence in uh, uh, what is now T-Mobile Park. But, uh, yeah, it, it's still a series, um, even with the Jays' home presence that we get there, uh, they usually lose two out of three anyways. So <laughs> the, the, the ballpark has not been friendly to the Blue Jays. Um, but like you said, a sweep would be the you know, final nail in the coffin for the Mariners. Um, but at least win two out of three. Um, you, you do have good pitchers going in this series. And, uh, and yeah, you go into a, a short series next week with the Nationals and a team that uh, sold at the deadline and are not very good at all. Um, if you can find a way to win four or five of these road games, And road games are never easy, but uh, that would be really helpful going into uh, your next stretch from there as you return home.
1: Well, no doubt. And Brendan, that leads to the last points. You know, the fact that the Blue Jays are back in Toronto is an enormous lift. They were nine and two in their home stand and every team is better at home, but especially the Blue Jays who have not had a true home game in 22 months. That's got to be a reason to like them down the stretch as opposed to some other teams. It's a psychological and it's a just a, a, a great advantage uh, for them to have when they get back to, to the home parks. And it's funny you mentioned how you know things do change, and you are so right about that. Because one of the things I always look forward to in the Seattle games, it was a Blue Jay home game. Uh, the last, it, it's become a, an iconic thing for some, but obviously this year, because of reduced capacity and the border situation, that changes as well. So we're going to have a, a different feel in the ballpark uh, to the, the next three games, I would imagine, compared to recent times.
2: Yeah. And I mean, these rules obviously exist for a reason. So uh, yeah, you, you follow them and, and uh, you know, unfortunately we miss out on a really, really cool opportunity down in Seattle. But uh, if you just think of, of everything that Jays have been through the last two years and then culminating with a, uh, you know, a big deadline ad of Brios, and then a big stand win uh, nine and two record, like you said, and all this momentum building, I'm just picturing how incredible this series would be, especially had the borders been open um, uh, to vehicle traffic. And and I would have imagined that this would have been one of the most um, well-attended games of uh, Blue Jays fans ever. So, yeah, it's too bad to miss out on that. Um, next year, hopefully, uh, yeah, I would hope, circumstances are different. Then um, I do know there are, you know, Blue Jays fans that are going to be at this series, and you can fly to Seattle and that type of thing. But, yeah, it won't be the same, and it's too bad to miss out on that because that has been really special. I, I've experienced it many times. Um, and and I tell you what, there's there's not many more uh, exciting sports experiences live than to see a Blue Jays game in Seattle when uh, you know all of BC and Alberta have traveled to it. So that's too bad, but uh, the Jays still got to take care of business. And and um, yeah, like you said, the nine and two homestand as they you know they got another homestand coming up here soon. Um, for for a sport where you play a lot of games in the season, um, the ability to to uh, have something that's a momentum boost in the month of August, I think psychologically goes a long way for players, right? So these guys are tired, lots going on, but having this boost of finally returning home, having fans cheering for you, having it go well, um, we've, we've seen how that's affected the Jays. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a very good team and a very good chance to make a playoff run here. But you got to win some of these road games against teams that are worse than you. And, uh, yeah, here's here's hoping they can get two out of three at least this weekend.
1: They got two out of four against the Angels, and we will see if they get at least two out of three this weekend. Blue Jays and Mariners, 10 o'clock on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet Robbie Ray gets the ball tonight for the Blue Jays. Chris Flexen counters for Seattle. Ben Wagner has a call right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan Show. Ellie and Josh Goldberg have Jays Talk. Right after the game, Brendan Kuhn from Blue Jays Nation joining us to chat about tonight's game. Brendan, nice to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Brendan Kuhn joining us from uh, Blue Jays Nation. I'm Roger Lajoie. We've got some Raptors talk coming, CFL, TFC. More Blue Jay talk later in the hour. So the poll, as I suspected tonight, draws a lot of emotion, um, which is which is fine which is good. It's a good discussion. So I'm going to start the discussion before I get into the text. Five ninety five ninety, Email roger at sportsnet590.ca and on Twitter at the roger590. I hope one thing that comes out of this entire COVID situation, although I got to admit, I'm not very optimistic uh, it will happen, is we learn to talk to each other in a more respectful manner about these things. Regardless of how you feel about vaccines or COVID or the world, and it's not just this, but it's about everything. I am a great believer in being respectful in your approach. I do. There is no need to sped and spew any more hatred of everybody's side. I think everybody needs a deep breath and we got to have some compassion for a lot of people. And there are a lot of sides to this issue. And the question on Twitter is, it's simple, it's direct. So the Winnipeg Jets have decided they're going to run their business by insisting everybody must be fully vaccinated to come into the arena because they want a full arena, and that's the only way they can do it. And if you're unvaccinated, you're not coming in. So my question was, given that, should all other teams do the same? At the moment, 178 votes are in, 87.6% of you say yes, fully vaccinated only, 12.4% say no, it's too restrictive. I also find when we get text, I tend, not just me, I think a lot of people, tend to get a lot of really bitter, angry text from people who won't even put their name on it. So, folks, if you're not going to put your name and your location, and yeah, I'm not a dummy, I know you could make up a name and a location – And by the way, we have your phone number. Uh, However, please just be respectful, put your name, and give your comment. So I'm going to start with one from uh, Tyrone in Brampton, who says, Love when you are on and respect you, but creating a two-tiered society is the same as segregation to me. This text probably won't get read because those who disagree with injecting an experimental drug in their bodies have been labeled, I won't say, and are being pressured and bullied. I am 50, I have had COVID, recovered, I have diabetes, a heart condition, and some allergies. So getting the jab is not a good idea for me, and please, Roger, just answer the simple question, what are the long-term effects of the vaccine? Other than being safe and effective, I have no issue with anyone who has taken it as a personal choice, and I wish everyone comes through this healthy. Tyrone, thank you. I totally agree with your last sentence. We all hope everybody comes through this healthy, and I'm very glad that you've been able to recover uh, from from COVID. But Tyrone, the the question we're asking tonight is a business then we say rights and a lot of people are already saying we have the right to say no to this you're right nobody's mandating it unless you're a federal government employee you'll get into that in a second but you're not forced to take it you're not forced to take it however a business also has the freedom to say to you we consider it if you are unvaccinated to go and sit with a bunch of people who are fully vaccinated that it causes a health concern. And this is the way we're going to do our business. That's their right too. So we have rights as individuals and businesses have rights of individuals. So that's the decision the jets made and the jets, I'm sure thinking we can't go through a season with 6,000 fans and people sitting apart from each other. We've got to get back into business. We feel this is the way to go. So, Tyrone, I respect you and God bless you. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you recovered and you were respectful about it. And you put your name and I did read your text, despite the fact that you said you weren't going to. But from my opinion, I look at this. I, I'm of a certain vintage. I remember times when people were fighting about smoking in public. I sat next to my uncle going to my grandfather's funeral. All right. He was a chain smoker on an airplane. And he must have smoked three packs of cigarettes while we're going to my grandfather's funeral. He's no longer able to do that. Why is he no longer able to do that? Because we found out it is a public health problem for the person sitting next to him. And therefore, his freedom to smoke in an airplane was taken away because it took away my right to a safe environment. And I say that with full respect. So this is the issue. This is the issue. Everyone gets vaccinated. And what the Jets are saying is, that's fine if you didn't get vaccinated, but you can't come into the building because we need to keep this safe for the vast majority of people who are in the building. That's the the argument. That's the uh, situation. Jessica and Pickering says, this is a very, very tough one. There are so many different ways to look at this, and it's not mandated by the government uh, to have a, a vaccine, so... If it's just a recommendation, is it fair to the unvaccinated people to not let them in? Jessica, that's a great point. That's another point. Several other textures are echoing uh, the same thing here. Stephen Alora says, open the gates in businesses everywhere. Don't force people to protect themselves. Put the money from CERB into healthcare to develop a proper pandemic response system that separates virus carriers from regular hospitals. This isn't the last virus that's going to pop up. We need to be able to isolate uh, when it comes. Thank you, sir. Adam in North York says, why do you give anti-vaxxers a voice? They led to 600 child deaths in the U.S. Uh, due to measles. Adam, thank you. Um, I, I give everybody a voice, and it's not so much anti-vaxxers. The question is regarding sports. Remember, this is not a news new show. It's a sports show. Do the Winnipeg Jets, their decision to not allow anybody who has not been vaccinated into their facility, is that the right thing or the wrong thing to do? And there are two sides to that issue. John on Waterloo says, I'm on the no side. Being double vaccinated does not mean you can't catch COVID. I repeat, it does not mean you can't catch COVID. The same for passing it to someone else. Vaccinated, not vaccinated, does not matter. Plus, the effectiveness starts to fade six to eight months later. John, I will say this. The numbers are being put out by our government every day, and they're quite clear that vaccines work. Fully vaccinated people very, 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 very rarely get COVID. And when they get it, it very, very rare it covers re- requires hospitalization. And that is the way these teams are going. And that's facts. That's not opinion. It's one of the things now, the opinion and facts in this world, that's a fact. That's a fact. They work. And that's why the Jets are doing it. So I read those just to get them off. But the rest of the response is, I really just want to know how you feel as a fan. So you're okay with it then? So if you're not, you, you think it's okay to go into the facility? And if you've had both your shots, what do you want the Leafs and the Raptors to do? That's the topic. I'm not going to spend all show on it, but we're going to spend some time on it tonight. And respectful discussion is welcome, please. Unrespectful discussion is never welcome on any show I'm hosting. Stephen Lung, NBA editor at Sportsnet, coming up. Talk about the Raptors offseason. We're going to talk about the CFL, TFC, those Blue Jays who are two and a half back of a wild card, and much more. At the Raj 590, 590, 590 is a text. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. This is Sportsnet Tonight, and I'm Roger Lajoie on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. that tonight sportsnet 590 the fan i'm roger lejoie here till 10 o'clock blue jay baseball seattle and the jays coming up josh goldberg join us later in the show does jay's talk for us and uh, he'll give us his uh, views damian warner our top interview of the week we'll talk some tfc and cfl wonder what they're going to do well obviously the argo tfc has already started they're under limited capacity argos as well outdoors so they don't have the same kind of issues, obviously, indoor stadiums do. That's our ongoing discussion tonight. What should the Raptors and the Leafs do once their season begins? The Jets have made their call, fully vaccinated only. Your thoughts welcome on Twitter at TheRodge590, text five ninety five ninety, email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Speaking of those Raptors, Stephen Lung, NBA editor for sportsnet.ca, joins us now as Raptors Summer League uh, continues in the preliminary rounds in vegas Stephen. always great to have you on the show hope you're safe and well and let's start with the fact Stephen. where do you sit on the importance of the summer league you know it's a good way to get players showcased. we know what it is but some people say there's an overreaction too. sometimes if maybe and i'm you know if scotty barnes doesn't look as good as you think he should what's the importance of this do you think in the minds of the nba and its players yeah
3: i think the importance of the summer league is um I think an old adage is like one one of the the seven deadly sins of the NBA is to put too much weight into the summer league, but uh, the summer league uh, will show you the players who cannot play. And so you speak of Scotty Barnes and like the other kind of top five picks, top like uh, like even top seven picks really, with the exception of Josh Giddey. But I think all of these kids can certainly play, and they're they're proving it uh, on on a night-to-night basis from what we've seen so far over these last three games.
1: Stephen, given the lack of uh, major activity on the free agent front uh, from the team, I'll just kind of add to that question about the importance of the summer league. Does the focus become even that much more on the kind of young talent the Raptors already have and is on display here in Vegas?
3: I think it's. Uh, I I think there certainly is a lot of focus on the young talent the Raptors have because you know like this is what what the future of the program is. So it's very encouraging to see Malachi Flynn. You know like he had he had an off second game, but he but he bounced back in in the third game the other night. Um, obviously, seeing what Scotty Barnes can do and and his multi-dimensional, multi-positional, uh, do everything kind of kind of style of play. He's still very raw, but. You can see the potential there. And obviously uh, with Precious Achua, uh, you know, who's only entering his second year in the NBA himself right here, it's important that we see him, uh, you know, like, unless you saw a lot of Miami Heat last, last season, you didn't really get to see him very much as a Raptors fan. So seeing what he can do, you know, like as, as a multi-positional defender, a rim runner, and, you know, most recently, we've seen him add a bit of a three-point stroke, which is something he had never shown before throughout his high school and college career event.
1: Stephen, Lung with us from Sportsnet.ca, I'm Roger Lujois, Raptors Summer League uh, continues. So, you know, we we see the car, heard the comments from uh, Goran Dracic, who, who eventually, you know, um, apologized by a, a tweet, which is uh, fair enough, uh, saying the Raptors were not his preferred destination because he had higher ambitions. It's only one player, Stephen, and I hate to even like go down the road of this kind of, you know, are the Raptors still a, a a second thought for not just him, but for a lot of teams? Because what he's basically saying, inadvertently perhaps, according to him, but regardless, he comes out and, and feels that the Raptors aren't really there yet if you're searching for a championship team. Now, this team won the title in 2019, as we know. They had a pretty good run in 2020, second-best record in the regular season before losing to Boston in seven games. Last year was a, just a write-off. But a lot of people considered last year's write-off just because of uh, the injuries, uh, no home games, what have you. But now that Lowry's gone, the dust has settled from the free agent se- uh, series uh, season. rather. What what do you think? Where is this team? Is it rebuilding? Is it middle of the pack? Is it still an elite team in the Eastern Conference? Like, is Goran wrong in his original estimation that the Raptors aren't really there yet if you're looking for a contender?
3: Um, you know, as much as this might hurt Raptors fans to hear, uh, I don't think Goran Dragic was wrong. I mean, he probably shouldn't have uh, came out and been that honest, and then he kind of walked back to comments uh, through uh, a... a in an interview that he did with just Michael Grange. But uh, I don't think his, his initial assessment of the situation he was walking into was necessarily all that off. Because I see a team, you know, that is... Um, we've heard Bobby Webster say that that uh, even with, with what they did with Kyle Lowry last season, you know, they're looking to assess their youth. They're, they are looking to kind of make this uh, build this team around Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, and OG Ananobi. And you know these are younger players. You know, like Pascal and Fred are 27, so they they're they're a little older, but still, like this is a younger core. And without you know like the glue that is Kyle Lowry there to kind of uh, like like hold everything together, it's tough to it's tough to see this team being you know nearly as good as they have been during the Lowry era. This is a brand new era Raptors basketball. And I think we're going to see some growing pains. Like like right now, to me, this team is probably just kind of competing once again for that, that last play-in spot, and they may not get it.
1: No, that's, uh, you're not alone in that kind of uh, assessment of, of where the team is at. So given all that, Stephen, how much activity do we expect from the Raptors between now and the start of the season, and even during the season, and you know, Masai is 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 committed for the long term. There's stability in the front office. There is still some flexibility in what they can do, especially with Lowry's deal off the books. How do you, how do you think the team is going to go about business for this season and say one more year? Because you know, you mentioned that core, you know, but you know, players like Siakam and Freddie Van Vliet, you know, <laughs> were in the NBA championship just two years ago. It isn't a it isn't like you're starting with a bunch of second and third year players. You're waiting to grow. These guys have grown up quickly here.
3: Yeah, so to to answer your question, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of activity like we may see some kind of minor moves here as, as they fill out the roster for, for uh, heading into training camp. But I, I think I think the team that, that we see now is what it's going to be up until the trade deadline, I think, and I think that's when things are going to start to get really uh, a little more interesting because, obviously, Goran Dragic, uh, he, he, I think he was brought in as a, as a means to match salaries to make the Lowry sign and trade work. Um, I think he was brought in to also help with a, fill a little, bit, a little bit of that leadership void, but I think most importantly he was brought in as a trade chip because he, his contract is worth $19.4 million dollars which could potentially be used when coupled with maybe another contract. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who who might that be, but it could be used for a much bigger kind of fish that the Raptors may want to look at uh, come the trade deadline. Because you know, you know how the NBA works, right? Where uh, there's there's always someone who's who's disgruntled that you can maybe get.
1: No, there's no doubt. There's always a possibility of of picking somebody up if you feel that that's uh, the right thing to do adding a veteran or what have you and we'll see where this team uh, seems to say where it's at. So, uh, you look at um, you know um, the players on this roster. It looks like the front court is is is, is pretty packed. Um, how, how do you how do you see you know this team shaping up? Let's say they don't make any major acquisitions, deletions between now and the start of the season. How do you think the rotation, the roster looks to you, Stephen?
3: Um, I think the ro- I think the rotation is going to be to quote Nick Nurse, what he used a lot last year, very fluid. Uh, because as as you said, the front court looks very packed, and that's just because they just added a bunch of guys who are pretty much the exact same dimensions. You know, about six eight, six nine, with a seven foot plus wingspan, ultra athletic. I mean, like they, they have they have about four or five of these guys on on the roster because like the Raptors, are, like they they're very clearly found a type of player that they really like, and they are trying to play a positionalist. You know, like switch everything style of defense kind of basketball, and I think defensively the, the team the team will be quite strong. You know, you, you look at the names like Ananobi, Achua, Siakam, right? Like this, uh, Scotty Barnes. Like like this, these are great defensive pieces. I think they have. I just think the issue with the team will come in who's going to take the shot because right now uh, their top offensive option is Pascal Siakam, and he will be coming off a shoulder. Uh, injury, um, and then outside of that, it's probably like leaving it to Fred VanVleet and Gary Trent to do a lot of heavy lifting, which I'm not sure you exactly want them to do. You would probably prefer a more egalitarian approach, but they unfortunately, don't have a lot of guys who can shoot the ball very well. So, I think it will be kind of a struggle offensively for this Raptors team.
1: Yeah, that appears to be the way it's shaping up, but uh, we shall see, and we'll see what Siakam can uh, bring to the party this year. There's no doubt he's the high impact uh, salary player, so we'll see what he can do. Sense of relief or a sense of just uh, it was only a matter of time that Masai jury is now you know committed to the fold. I think it's sensational steven i don't think anybody you know every executive in any sport is going to have his critics but boy you're going to be really nitpicking uh to make um any kind of real severe criticism over what masai ujiri has brought to this raptors franchise
3: yeah um i mean masai, like kyle lowry was the identity of, of the toronto raptors but like really and as we see now with with this commitment the, the toronto raptors are masai ujiri right like you you can't separate the two and uh, so this is this is obviously great news for the raptors i mean like he was their top free agent i never really got the sense that he was really going anywhere cuz i didn't really see a destination for him to even go to in the first place but it is i think to answer your question a very much a sense of relief for for uh, like any raptors fan to know that like the top guy the the man who kind of Change the perception of the franchise really is going to be with you long
1: term. 100% right there. That was the biggest free agent signing of the offseason when you really think about it, because that's in effect what Masai was. Stephen Lung's great work as NBA editor is available at sportsnet.ca. joins Sportsnet tonight on a regular basis. Always fun to chat with you, Stephen. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Roger. Stephen Lung joining us from Sportsnet. I'm Roger Lejoie. We have enormous feedback tonight on our poll question and that's great that's why we put out these poll questions 590, 590 is a text at the Raj 590 on twitter email roger at sportsnet 590.ca leafs and the raptors will be starting their seasons in what 50 days it's incredible the way that, <laughs> it's not that long until they start again all right so how do they sell tickets full building full vaccinated Social distancing. And folks, again, you know, I mentioned, and the majority of the comments have been respectful tonight, but let's let's just remember that this is not an easy decision. This is tough. This whole thing has been tough. The whole COVID era has been tough. But this particular business section, and I'm speaking now as a guy who's fully vaccinated and supports people getting their vaccines, and I, I definitely think that's a way to get through this. But in terms of operating the business and the logistics of it is like, it's not easy, but we've got some interesting perspectives, and we're going to hear them as I'm going to read them in moments. Sportsnet Tonight continues. I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. That tonight sports net 590 the fan i'm roger Lejois. great to be with you until 10 o'clock blue jay baseball seattle mariners coming up against the blue jays they're all big ones now aren't they they sure are all right we're one vote shy of 200 so if you haven't voted yet put your vote in you can be number 200 on twitter and it's holding pretty firm 86.9 percent of you say fully vaccinated only is the way to go for NHL teams or NBA teams or indoor teams facing this decision. 13.1% of you say it is too restrictive. And by the way, here in Ontario today, we just hit 82% who have taken the vaccine. And obviously 18% of eligible people haven't. So that it's 86.9 to 13.1 kind of ties in. Although some people who are double vaccinated are suggesting that, you know, well, I don't think that's the right way to go. So there's lots... Lots of ways to go. Philip tweets in. Always great to hear from you, Philip. Neither as a business professional. Let them decide on their own. Customers will let their views be known. Cash is king. Philip, thank you. So they may. Not every team has made the announcement. New Orleans Saints have announced fully vaccinated. It's starting, you know, starting to come out. They, but the, these teams are going to have to make their decisions uh, soon. Uh, Optimistic Chase fan tweets in. It should be that vaccination is required. You are allowed to have full capacity. That's the whole point. I believe, um, I believe it's Chris who's tweeting in. That's the whole point. The reason they are doing it is because they will be able to sell every ticket in the establishment. If they don't, they will not. Elliot says, stop the debate. Just mandate it. Elliot, thank you. You, you have some good discussions with some of our other texters and tweeters, I'll tell you. Robert tweets in, we just spent damn near two years altering society in extremely restrictive ways in order to protect society and return to normal life. Anti vax people are preventing that and putting those ineligible at risk. Get the shot or stay at home with the ineligible. At some point, Robert continues, those ineligible will be able to get it or get justifiable accreditation for their ineligibility. Sooner rather than later, those people will be allowed into events with a double vax, leaving the anti vaxxers to enjoy their self decided antisocial fate. Thank you, sir. Uh, Robert at the Raj 590 is where you find me on Twitter. Uh, poll is 86-9 to thirteen one at the moment. Good comments, respectful ones, and, and that's what we're uh, looking for tonight. Uh, we've got a ton of text. Uh, let's see if we can get some of uh, these in here. Monty in Toronto says, what if an NHL player not fully vaccinated is on the Jets? Are they not going to allow him into the building? Monty, that's a great question. That's a great question. If you ban unvaccinated fans... How can you allow an unvaccinated hockey player? That's a great, that's a great point. That is a great point. Clayton says, I am completely unvaccinated and I totally agree that you should be fully vaccinated if you want to attend big public gatherings. It only makes sense. Clayton, thank you. I like the perspective. So there's a guy who is not, not, not giving any reasons why, but Clayton, that's fine. He's unvaccinated, but he has no problem with large public events being only for double vaccinated people. Clayton, thank you. Jason in Hamilton says, hey, Roger, I appreciated your focus on both individual and business rights. A private business has a right to refuse services if they choose. When it comes to the Jets' decision, it's irrelevant if I agree or disagree how severe COVID is or how affected the vaccines are. We should not expect all businesses to mimic our personal views, so to be mad that a business has a different view than ours is misplaced anger. For those that disagree with the Jets, it's a mechanism of business rights that should be the point of contention. Jason, thank you. Well said, well put together, and I will echo your comment again, is people who bring up the, I hate to say freedom card, but they do playing the freedom card, that is everybody also has the freedom. And the business has the freedom to tell you you can't come in. Uh, I forget where I saw it, and I know it's in, you know, uh, in a uh, just kind of crazy a way of doing it, but it was a restaurant owner who... Um, had difficulty with a customer who would not wear a mask and he came up and he said you know sir we require you to wear the mask you have to wear a mask we were trying to keep our people safe and he gave the army says why have the freedom not to wear a mask and he looked at him straight and he said "I i also have the freedom not to wash my hands before i prepare your meal either and asked him to respectfully leave so we can get into these arguments of freedom and what have you and as as I think Jason Hamilton points out really, really well is, yeah, that's a two way street. We all have freedoms, too. And I have the right to keep myself safe in a pandemic. And I have the right to ask you to put your cigarette out in an airplane. Folks, you should have been around in those days, man. I am telling you something, man, if you were an anti-smoker. And you know what? People would look at you if you complained and they'd go, what's your problem? I remember being in a newspaper office back in the late 70s. The photographer's right in my face, and he's smoking a cigarette. Going, <coughs> going, well, what's the matter? You don't like smoke? Actually, no, I don't, brother. And it took 20 years later, well, maybe 15 years later, to discover that he was doing my health damage for doing that. So you know what? His right to smoke was suspended because it's, it's interfering with my right to be healthy. Mark in Barry says, what happens if a game is canceled due to an outbreak caused from someone uh, that is vaccinated? Mark, the same thing that will be whether they're unvaccinated Uh, outbreaks. And yes, a very, 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 very small percentage of fully vaccinated uh, people are getting COVID. And an even very, 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 smaller percentage of that are getting sick and going to the hospital. So it is not a cure, but statistical probability is so much higher Take a group of 100 fully vaccinated and a group of 100 unvaccinated and let's do crunch the numbers on that one. I think that's what they're saying. So what happens to the games as a result of vaccinated or unvaccinated? I think it's I think it's the same thing. Adam in North York says, I don't believe people who say they're double vaxxed but think it's too restrictive. They are lying. Uh, they are vaccinated. Adam, we really don't know, you know, until someone shows a, a certificate in in kind of things. And, and that's where people who are signing on the vaccine passports prove it. Uh, If you, if you have it, but end of the day, the facts that come from the provincial government, this is just Ontario. I'm talking about 82% of us are vaccinated. That's a fact. So, you know, you hear a lot and sometimes you hear, you know, people who won't take the vaccine. It seems like they're really loud, but they're a substantial minority. A substantial minority. Now, Adam, I appreciate your text. I appreciate all your texts. You guys are terrific. And I appreciate your respect. One more quick one. I went too long, but Andrew Holland, our technical director, I figured it out. Jonathan in Kingston says the Jets' decision to only admit fully vaccinated fans is an imperfect solution to a bad situation, and hopefully not a permanent one. People are free to make the choice to get the vaccine or not, just like the teams have the right to decide whether or not to admit unvaccinated fans. Attending a hockey game is a privilege, not a right. Jonathan, thank you. Much appreciated. 590-590. 590, 590. Keep the text coming on Twitter at the Raj590. Rog Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Sportsnet tonight continues on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
0: Game night is the best night, and we're not talking rummy, canasta, or baccarat. All your games in one place. This is Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
1: Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Roger Lejoie with you until 10 o'clock. We have lots to talk about. We have lots of discussion and feedback on our poll question tonight about fully vaccinated. Okay, so in Ontario, 82% of people are fully vaccinated. Fact. Just doing facts now. Fact. Very, very, very small, very small percentage of people who are fully vaccinated. Do get COVID Do think of like, you know, there was like two people in the hospital today in Ontario who were double vaccinated and got COVID. So there, it's not 100%, by the way, never was supposed to be. If you've followed the research on it, nobody said that it was 100% foolproof, but regardless, it's another fact. So as a business and you want to start and you want to get a full crowd in the best way to keep, you won't eliminate, all the possibility of COVID, but the, t- t- the statistical probability of people not getting it grows exponentially if everybody in the joint said two shots. That's what the Winnipeg Jets are basing their model on. I'm asking you, is that a good idea, a bad idea? At the Rodge 590, text 59590, email roger at sportsnet590.ca. And earlier I was complaining about people not being respectful. Well, I tell you what, I've had nothing but great comments and respectful comments on both sides of the issue which I appreciate very, uh, very much. So we will uh, check in on all of your comments and read them throughout the course of the show. Right now, though, we're going to talk about the Toronto Argonauts who are a surprising 1-0. and David Morizzuti is the editor and Argos reporter for the Tip of the Tower, and he joins Sportsnet tonight. David, thanks very much for joining us. Should we be that surprised the Argos got a win uh, on the road to start the season?
4: I think that's probably the surprising part is that, you know, they went on the road against a team that they've struggled to beat. You know, Bo by Mitchell had a 12-0 record in the regular season against the Argonauts or 11-0, and, you know, that was probably the surprising part was they were able to get it all done on the road, so... Definitely a surprise, uh, especially as the underdogs, but uh, they did exactly what they needed to do to uh, get the victory in Week
1: 1. So what's the strength of this team then, David? How did they win Game 1, and what what is it going to take for them to uh, be an upper echelon team in the East this year?
4: I think two things for sure in that game. One was uh, their offense has been totally revamped. Uh, you know, Ryan Dinwiddie has made it a point to spread the ball out. You know, they have quite a few quality receivers that uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson can throw it to, and he's someone that can throw the ball and can't get production. He led the CFL in touchdowns in 2019, so that was a big uh, focus for the team was just to make sure he had the weapons. And they got a really strong leadership group. I, I don't think that gets enough credit. And, you know, they they made some mistakes in that game in week one, but – they didn't allow it to define that game and they were able to kind of push through and uh it took them to the you know the final minute to get the last field goal and uh i think their mental resolve is it will is crucial but i think their offense is what's going to make them you know a contender at least a contender in the east we'll see about uh further down the line.
1: So let's talk about uh, Dinwiddie, rookie uh, head coach, uh, making his debut. Your, your assessment of him and his ability to guide this team, because, you know, David, one of the things about the entire CFL season this year is it's going to be so difficult to try to, well, it's always difficult to handicap any any league, but it's going to be especially, it's been so long since they've played, you know, the rust in the organizations. And does that kind of maybe benefit a guy who doesn't have any head coaching experience this year when so many teams, I don't want to say they're starting from scratch, but they're starting after such a lengthy delay, David.
4: Yeah. I don't know many rookie head coaches that have over a year and a half to prepare for their first job. (laughs) Very true. You know, he Ryan and in my conversations with him and uh, you know, he was just chomping at the bit to get on the sidelines, you know, He's been waiting for his opportunity for a long time. You know, he was in a good organization in Calgary. So that was, I think, a big draw for the Argonauts, uh, getting someone from that Calgary coaching tree. And, you know, he's he's very detailed on offense. He knows what it takes to run a good CFL offense. They've been doing it in Calgary for years, and he's been a big part of that. And, you know, they he's... He's someone that's, you know, very passionate. Uh, you know, watching on the sidelines, uh he you know, there were some emotional moments uh that come out and he admitted that, you know, he has to be the emotional leader at times and try to rein in the guys, but you know, you couldn't help but notice that there were some uh moments where he allowed his emotions out but I think he he brings he brings also a business like attitude to that team. You know, they they got that win against Calgary and it was you know, realizing that They have an even tougher test this week against Winnipeg.
1: No doubt Argo is playing the uh, Bombers uh, tonight. Kickoff uh, just about 20 minutes away in Winnipeg. Ryan, uh, David, I don't want to take anything away from the Argos' um, victory, but, you know, and again, I'm going to go back, not just with the head coach, but the nature of the CFL and what we expect, especially in the early going. I mean, Calgary's a, you know, a a perennial powerhouse in the CFL. Not only did they lose to the Argos last night, they lose at home to BC and only score nine points. Is, Is maybe, maybe I'll put it in as generous a way as I can for teams like the Argos. Do they have a kind of extra advantage here in the first couple of weeks, at least of this season with the unknown quantity, the rust, the teams, and maybe the quote unquote traditional powers aren't going to have any kind of an edge in this league for, well, at least a a few more weeks.
4: I think there's some validity to that. I mean, you look at the way Calgary played last against DC and they, they were even worse than I think they played against the Argos and, you know, Bill, there's guys who are dealing with injuries being off for so long. And I think, you know, teams that were on the, the right side of the health uh, margin with, uh, with their players tend to, you know, do a little bit better right off the start. And, uh, you know, it's a grind throughout the season. So those that are able to remain as healthy as they can be generally are the ones that do well in the CFL. And, you know, I, I think the Argos realized that, you know, it's all about execution. Uh, you know, there are certain plays they didn't execute, but when they need to execute, they were able to get the job done. And I look at, you know, there were a lot of sloppy games in week one, which is what you would expect considering there was no preseason games. So, like, everything is fresh. Nobody has tape on any teams, you know, based off what they're doing this year. So I think some teams will refine things going into this week. We saw it with BC. Their defense was, you know, standout against Calgary. Offensively, a lot of teams are struggling right now. I think a lot of that is execution, and you know, quarterbacks and receivers not really having that time together. Training camp was abbreviated too, so you're gonna it's gonna be a little slow for some teams. Calgary, it's a little bit surprising because you know, Bowley by Mitchell's the constant there, but it, the fact that he's struggling, I think part of that is due to injury and also just some uh, new guys in the fold, and you know, he lost quite a few of his favorite targets as well.
1: So you mentioned uh, your confidence in the Argos to be at least competitive in the East is based on the offense. Uh, McLeod uh, Bethel uh, Thompson getting the win in the opener. Nick Arbuckle is out with a hamstring injury, but what about the quarterbacking situation on this team? It is a foregone conclusion uh, the way things are going to shape up there. We're going to have a quarterback uh, controversy when both quarterbacks are healthy.
4: Well, yeah, and Arbuckle's he's almost there. Um, I think, you know, Dinwiddie did a good job in pretty much saying that he doesn't want to anoint cloud as like the, you know, go-to starting quarterback, right? You know, he deserved to start this week after what he did against Calgary. But, you know, Arbuckle didn't lose his job because of performance. He lost it because he was uh, unable to go. So I think, you know, they wanted depth uh, at that position. Uh, they, they, they believed that Arbuckle was going to be the starter, but were comfortable also having – Uh, Bethel Thompson there I think in the CFL we've seen teams need more than one quarterback to get through a season I mean Winnipeg had three in 2019 so the depth I think they're very comfortable with that whether or not they have you know that true number one I think they're still uh, you know some some were ready to anoint McLeod after the first week but I think they want to They're going to give us some time. I don't think if, you know, if McLeod doesn't have a good performance against Winnipeg, it wouldn't be surprising if Arbuckle gets his opportunity the following week.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Bombers before we let you go. And I mentioned, you know, the top teams in the league may take a little while, but they were impressive in their first game uh, victory. What do we expect from them, and what kind of game do you expect tonight?
4: They're a team that, you know, they they're probably the most physical team in the CFL in terms of, you know, up front on the uh, offensive line and on the defensive line. I mean, what impressed me the most about the Blue Bombers was, you know, they carried the ball 23 times. You know, you don't see CFL te- uh teams rush the ball that many times. You know, they they pretty much took what they did in the Grey Cup and are going to translate that, in, you know, into their game plan and it's 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 made them successful so far. I think they injuries might creep up on them on defense a bit their defensive line's a little banged up and they're starting three rookies in the secondary which is not really ideal but uh this is a team that brought a majority of its roster back from 2019 and they're they're hoping that you know the foundation of how they play can be sustainable throughout the season and a lot of uh cfl teams could struggle with that especially given how strong and how much depth that uh Blue have up front on especially on that offensive line.
1: So David final one then and we'll let you go. I the financial health of the CFL is is precarious at the best of times it is and I know our listeners in Western Canada hate for us to bring that up every time we talk CFL in Toronto, but we have to because it's an ongoing thing and especially coming out of a of pandemic and a completely canceled year and a shortened schedule this year and reduced capacity. I mean, it's it's an enormous challenge from what you hear from CFL people and especially in Toronto, where it's always a challenge is I know the euphoria of being back on the field is great. But is that kind of mixed with still a sense of dread about, you know what, the economics of this league are are still an enormous challenge, and they sure didn't get any better in the last 17 months?
4: No, they didn't. And, you know, it's no surprise that there was that whole XFL talk before they even committed to having a season. This is a league that that I think realized during the pandemic that their current model, you know, financial model, isn't sustainable, you know, in these times. And they're going to have to figure out ways to make markets like Toronto, BC, um, Montreal, you know, those ones that don't thrive with gate revenue, they got to have to find other ways to generate revenue. I mean, I'm very curious to see how if the Argonauts will get a quote-unquote sellout, which would be about um, 15,000. I'm curious to see how close they'll get to that number. But uh, I think the CFL has realized they have to find other ways to generate revenue. I think gambling is going to be the big one for them because of their, uh, you know, with with gambling now legalized and, you know, how how many people like to bet on football and the options you have available. I think that's something the CFL will look to exploit, and that's just going to be, have to be one of the many avenues for this
1: league. will be very interesting indeed. Uh, David uh, Morazidi is the editor, Argo's reporter for The Tip of the Tower, joining us to talk some CFL tonight. David, nice to chat with you. Stay well. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much, Roger. You too. You too. Uh,
1: David Zudi, uh, editor and Argos reporter, the tip of the tower. I'm a CFL fan. I know people, we, I, I'm not even going to dwell into the discussions. Well, you're finally talking CFL, or why are you talking about the CFL? It's like, you know, for a couple of minutes, I'll talk. First of all, for a couple of minutes on <laughs> any show I'm hosting, I'll talk about anything. But I like the CFL. I wish them well. I, I, I hope the league finds a way. It's, uh, it's a real challenge. And I'm glad that XFL nonsense is put aside one of the biggest mistakes the CFL made whenever years they did it when they had the 3 years they had the American teams they thought well this is the this is the answer create an American division there was absolutely no interest uh what whatsoever in, in the United States, in, in the CFL. So good luck to them. Argo's off to a nice start. They play the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 8.30, trying to improve to 2-0. and And if they get two wins in Western Canada, start the season on the road, well, I'm sure their home fans will be very excited. I wonder how their home fans feel, though, about the vaccinated versus unvaccinated argument vis-a-vis coming to the games. Now, it's different for outdoor venues, obviously. We know crowds are safer outdoors than they are in. We know doubly vaccinated people are safer than unvaccinated people, regardless of your opinion of the discussion and whether you should take the shot or not and long-term effects and what have you. The vaccine's working is a fact. It's not an opinion. So teams like the Winnipeg Jets and the rest of the NHL teams in this country in our poll on Twitter ask this question. The Jets have said all fans attending their games must be fully vaccinated or you're not coming in. Thank you and good night. Should all teams do the same? Our poll on Twitter is 84.5. It's dipped a little now. Percent saying fully vaccinated. Only 15.5% say no. It's true too restrictive. We've had great comments. I don't even know where to start here. I, I, I'll try to get to them all between now and the end of the show, folks. But we've had so many, which is great. So how about I start stop talking and start reading? Robert uh, emails in. Let's do an email. Other teams should not do what the Winnipeg Jets have done. If you are vaccinated... 82% of the population is. Why are those who are vaccinated so concerned about the person sitting beside them? You got the shot to protect yourself. You shouldn't then be worried about the person sitting beside you because you are protected. You got the shot and you're still worried. Why did you get the shot in the first place? Unless you don't trust the vaccine, people with the vaccine can still contract the virus. Just look at the New York Yankees, the Washington Nationals. 11 players from the Nationals were fully vaccinated and still contact, contracted COVID-19. Requiring proof of vaccine is a slippery slope And this dangerous territory, where does it end? Robert, thank you for your very well-stated opinion. On uh, text now, 590-590, Tim in Peterborough. No shirt, no shoes, no vax, no service. Maybe that's a sign they should put up. the Winnipeg Jets arena, you walk in there. Well-stated, Tim. Thank you. And uh, again, we appreciate your opinion. Uh, Tom in Manitoba says, as an unvaccinated Leafs and Jays fan in Manitoba... I plan to come to Toronto to watch them play. Tom, thank you. Uh, I'm just going to give you, before you make your travel plans, though, um, you don't need vax proof for the Blue Jays, but I'm suspecting you might for the Leafs. So if you are not vaccinated, um, buyer beware kind of thing. Much appreciated, Tom. Mike in Port Hope says, hey, Roger, great perspective as usual. Didn't expect anything less from you. That's very kind, sir. Thank you. Uh, stay safe, guys. And he gives a shout out to our producers. And he does that all the time. So, Mike, you're right. J.R. Manitad, uh, Andrew Dutch Holland, our great production team, deserve more of a, a shout out. And you always do that. So I appreciate it. Wants to know if I'm still scoring for the Blue Jays? The answer to that is, Mike, yes. And I sit in the booth and I wear a mask. And I'm double vexed. And thank you. Richard and Hamilton says the Jets are exercising the leadership that the government should in Ontario. Our government won't step up because the reality is if you're an anti-vaxxer, you almost certainly vote conservative. Richard, thank you. I am not going down the political slope with the end of your comment, but I did say I would read uh, the tweets. I'm not going to mix parties here. And it's a tough call. Remember, folks, this is a double-pronged issue. We're not just talking... Uh, Well, I'm trying to just talk about what pro sports teams should do to do their business. But regardless of how you feel about the vaccine is like, so should we now? we can even make the argument. Here's another angle on this to consider. Maybe we shouldn't even be playing games indoors in October if the Delta variant is there and you're trying to put 20,000 people in a hockey arena is irresponsible, even if they're all doubly vaccinated. The flip side of that, people say this is never going to end. we got to move on. Look at the risk. Look at the numbers. We've seen outdoor festivals. There have been a lot of major events. So they have not been super spreaders. So these are the challenges that are facing. You know, you, you, you want to appease your customers. You want to keep people safe. You need your business to operate. And that's why calm, good discourse with all, with, with, from all aspects and angles of this. Always very welcome on this program, and I'm sure very welcome uh, in governments as well. Richard, oh, I hope they are at any rate. Richard, thank you. Good evening. It's Dan from Oshawa. Good evening, Dan. He agrees the Jets should be able to only allow fans in who are vaccinated. And yes, the Jays and Raptors should require fans to be vaccinated. The data is building. Vaccines work. Dictating that people working should need to work vaccinated is kind of unfair, as not everyone can take the vaccine due to medical concerns. It's a tough call if it affects people's livelihood. You can choose not to go to the game. Dan, thank you. See, you bring up another element that's important uh, to bring up. It's one thing going to a, a, a ball game or a hockey game or an NBA game is one thing. Being able to work is another However, I don't think we should drag in, you know, people say, well, if you can't get the vaccine because of medical concerns, if you can't get the vaccine for medical concerns, nobody wants you to have the vaccine. I think I speak for everybody who's taken two vaccines. I no, nobody's suggesting some people do have medical exemptions and they are treated accordingly. But how how do you do this and how you do it is an interesting text from Dino and Pickering because that's his topic. And Dino says, my worry, worry is how will they enforce this rule? People buy tickets and find out they can't go and they don't want to hold on to $500 worth of tickets and can sell them to anybody. Really curious on the logistics. I'm going on a trip to PEI and I had to apply to enter with one of the requirements being at least one vaccine. My buddy who was unsure of the safety of the vaccine was unable to go. It's sad we can't spend that time away, but decisions have consequences and we both understand it Rules are rules. Great topic. Love your show. Dino in Pickering. Thank you. And I love your text. It's, it's a perspective. And I do like the fact that you bring up yourself as a vaccinated guy and your friend who's not unva- vaccin- who's not vaccinated, understanding the decisions that have to be made. So you are free not to take the vaccine. But the province of Prince Edward Island is within its rights to restrict your movement, trying to keep the majority safe. And you understand that. It's much appreciated. Jason in Toronto says, are unvaccinated people somehow considered a danger to vaccinated people? I don't see the logic there. Meanwhile, vaccinated people aren't cured. They're essentially a systematic spreaders now. Jason, thank you. There's a lot we know about the vaccine. There's a lot we don't. It changes on a regular basis. That's one thing if you're trying to stay up on COVID news and everything else. It's so difficult because it's an ongoing fluid Uh, situation but the end of the day is it isn't about so they're only allowing double vaccinated people in there because they don't want anybody getting COVID and that is the surest statistical way based on the success of the vaccine to do that and working in conjunction with the government the government won't allow them to go to full capacity unless they do it so it is an emotional and a business decision and a way to keep people healthy now, does a double vaccinated person have anything to fear about a person who is not vaccinated? I would suggest that anybody, vaccinated or not, has a fear of getting COVID unless you're an idiot. I don't think anybody wants this. <laughs> well, maybe there's a real small percentage of you that think this would be something to do. But you know what I'm saying? So then we get into the, 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 the language and, 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 and what have you. End of the day, doubly vaccinated people, again, fact. Doubly vaccinated people are safer in a COVID environment with large crowds, vastly, vastly more than unvaccinated. And that's where the decision stems from. Uh, great to uh, hear from you. One of our, my favorites, Bob in Burlington, Bob, your champ, says, Hi, Raj, I think the Jets are spot on in their new policy and would not be surprised if the least and the Raptors adopt this very shortly. In my other life in the healthcare era as a provider, I got vaxxed as soon as I could. And I have uh, strong, um, last year there for a second, Bob. And I have strong um, uh, feelings for other health care providers not getting vaxxed. We will be seeing very strong policy in Ontario soon that will mimic the B.C. policy, get vaxed or get tested twice weekly or stay home from work as a health care provider. Bob, that's another one. We mentioned the difference between going to a sporting event and your livelihood. And that further complicates this. It's great to hear from you, sir. I enjoy so much, and I have so many more t- texts, and I'll try to get them throughout the course of the show, all of them. Your respectful comments and dialogue on this very difficult and sensitive topic is much appreciated. But we also got to talk about TFC. And you know who's going to do that with us? Michael Leach from 680 News, as they try to figure out what kind of season they're having. And Josh Goldberg, host of Jays Talk, going to talk some Blue Jays with us as well. Your feedback, as you just heard, is always welcome. Five ninety five ninety text Email roger at sportsnet590.ca on Twitter. At the Raj 590, I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet Tonight. Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Roger Lajoie. Blue Jay Baseball, 10 o'clock. Listen in for that, and listen in our 9 o'clock hour, because Josh Goldberg, the host of Jay's Talk, will join us. Damian Warner was on the leadoff. What a great Olympics for him. What a great Olympics for Canada. Top interview, and we're going to have to make some time, obviously, in our 9 o'clock hour to continue to read your feedback, which has been outstanding on our poll issue on Twitter at the Raj 590 Email roger at sportsnet 590ca Text 59590. It's 8515 now. Yes, fully vaccinated only is a way to go. 15% saying no to restrictive. But please, your comments as well and enjoy hearing from you. Well, it has been an interesting season, to say the least. Interesting in air quotes, I guess, uh, for TFC. They have uh, made a coaching change. It's been mostly down, starts to go up. However... Where are they at future-wise? Michael Leach, soccer reporter from 680 News and a friend of the show, joins us to chat about it. Mike, always great to chat with you. And All right, so the interim tag is removed now from Javier uh, Perez. Obviously, that's an encouraging thing, Mike, because you know what? I don't think any team in any sport ever wants an interim anything, do they? Well, thanks
5: for having me, Roger, and I'll I'll answer your question in just a second. But I've been eavesdropping on your show here uh, for the last hour or so and you and i have been friends for damn well near 20 years now and this is this is a kind of show that just sort of highlights how truly you good are how truly good you are at this craft this has been a fantastic show uh Javier Vasquez or Javier Vasquez Javier Perez uh the interim tag coming off of him uh it, it, it's it, it's as you know to me it's a a situation where uh, they get some stability in the organization going through towards the the rest of the season as they try to make a push towards the playoffs here it's going to be very hard for them to make the playoffs but you know having him as the the voice on the sideline and knowing that he will be there for the rest of the season, I think is a really stabilizing thing for the team.
1: It is. And thank you for the comments, Mike. I appreciate it. But that's, that's what I meant by the, by the interim thing because it doesn't do anybody any good. It's hard to assess your authority as a coach and it's, uh, difficult for the players not knowing what's going to happen so but I will presume I've watched a little of TFC this year but I will presume the, the performance even the short uh, sample size has been that much better to allow him to take the role and do you think he can bring some stability back to this club after such a short you know reign for the previous coach that's a, a frustrating thing they're still trying to replace uh, Vanny obviously yeah, they are still trying to replace Greg Vanny, and I think actually
5: Javier Perez is probably a better fit uh, for a Greg Vanny style team than maybe Chris Armas was. Uh, this team has been better, as you you know, as you alluded to there, they've been better under Perez, and, and for me. The performance in the second half last week against New York City at Beale Field was really, really telling, because they were getting clobbered on their own field, and the scoreline at two nothing at halftime probably flattered TFC. And this was coming on the heels of getting blown out uh, at Philadelphia in a in a performance and a result that Perez admitted he felt was coming because the team. Still really isn't where they need to be. But he made some changes at halftime. The biggest one being taking off uh Michael Bradley and Josie Altador and replacing those players. And the response from the team was remarkable. It was a complete hundred and eighty-degree turn. They came back within a I think about ten or fifteen minutes of half uh of the half. And we're able to tie that game and probably had the better chances to win the game after being down 2-0. At that point, it was like, okay, you've got to take the interim tag off of this guy at least for the rest of the year. Because this going game to game thing, as you say, there's there's just no stability there. There's no it's it's harder for the players. And and Perez said that today when we spoke to him is that the players at least they know it's easier to plan it's there's just more of a settled group there knowing that he will be there for the rest of the season and we'll see it's an audition for him uh, to see if he can get something out of this group get them at least towards the playoffs maybe you think about making him the permanent manager
1: so how difficult a decision was it to you know and let's we're not waxing poetic by saying but bradley and Altidore are franchise icons obviously and you know for a coach you know with a handful of games of experience to kind of make that kind of move leads to two questions is one is 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 it basically sending a message to the rest of the team or is it kind of what's the future of Bradley and Altador who have been with this franchise for so many glorious moments, Mike, sitting in last place in the Eastern Conference?
5: It's a great question. And it was a question that was asked of Perez last week after the game is what, what that conversation was like, particularly with Michael Bradley, because he's not used to being subbed out of a game. He generally, if he starts, he finishes. And he said... Listen, Michael is a tremendous player. He is the heart and soul of our organization. But on this night, we needed something different. And that, to me, is a mark of a leader of men. It's a mark of a, of the kind of coach and manager that you want to have leading your team. That when the chips are down and when things aren't going well, that person is willing to make some very, very difficult decisions and frankly, it, it worked out. As to you know, Bradley and Altidore's position within the team as it moves forward, listen, I really, you can't say enough about what those two guys have brought to this franchise and to this city. I think arguably that 2017 MLS Cup, along with the Blue Jays in 15 and 16, and we saw what the Raptors did in 2019, they turned this city from Loserville to a city where legitimately you can believe your team has a chance to win a championship every year. That said, I think the team is maybe at a bit of a pivot point here. They may have been there last year, but the results were so good under Vanny last year, at least until they got to the playoffs, that it maybe glossed over a few things. But I think there is maybe a shift happening within this team where they maybe have to... Not necessarily change the guard because I think Bradley and Altidore both still have a lot to offer to this club. It just may be a a change in role uh, where younger players now take on a more prominent position within the team. And you look to guys like Bradley and Altidore to really offer that leadership to help those guys through some tough transitions that are going to come.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, and they've got to be comfortable being in that role after such a great stretch of success here. That's that's the that's the other element of that, Mike. We'll see we'll see what transpires. It will be interesting. So tomorrow night, uh, New England Revolution come in, league leading team, uh, and um, boy, Perez's debut. They came out with a win back in July, but. So sitting last in the conference, there's still a lot of games to go, but we know the probability of coming up. So what's the psyche? What's the motivation of this team? And the old cliche, Mike, is, you know, it's just every, ga- every game's important. You've, you've got a contract or whatever. But what are the expectations and possibilities that this team could at least, you know, get back into the playoff race and make it a more interesting summer at BMO Field?
5: I always hearken back to the former Oakland Raiders owner Al Davis and just win, baby. And I think that's very much the mentality right now with that team. I don't think they're looking at the standings so much. I think they know it's there. It's in the back of their minds where they are. They understand, though, they need to win. And it's just kind of become very much on a game-to-game basis. So they're they're not looking ahead to a four-game road trip coming up after tomorrow night's game that starts in Atlanta on Wednesday, they're looking solely at that game against New England and trying to find ways to win that game. And, and you know, we talk about, uh, you know, Perez, his first performance or his first game as the manager of this team was a win at New England, uh, probably against all odds. But, you know, he said... Having that game under his belt allows him some intel but he expects a different game tomorrow night against a you know a, a big team a team that likes to push players forward and for a TFC team that has struggled so mightily defensively they're going to be under pressure last night or uh, ne- uh, tomorrow night in order to find a way to win it's going to be keeping the ball out of the back of their net that I think could be a bit of a challenge for them but the mentality is as they go forward, it's just one game at a time.
1: So, Michael, final question then. You know, back to BMO Field tomorrow again, fifth game, I believe, since returning. TFC has been in the same position, of course, than the other Toronto teams. We saw the impact that returning home had to the Blue Jays after being 22 months away. We have yet to see it uh, for the Raptors, who have not returned, at least a little different, because at least they played in Toronto, and for one playoff game, at least had, what, 2,500 people, uh, healthcare workers, in the stands. So all the Toronto sports teams are, are going through this. But I'm curious as to your preliminary thoughts, as we hit this fifth game, of how the players feel about being back in Toronto, what that means to them, And what's been the reaction online and people you've talked to TFC fans about finally being able to get back and see the team they love? Well, first and foremost,
5: the players love it. They're thrilled to be playing back at home. They're thrilled to be playing back in front of their their own, you know, their fans, the supporters, even in limited numbers. And it has been very limited. And I heard your last interview. Uh, being curious about what the Argos can expect in terms of attendance, you know, getting to the 15,000. Just a quick look at Ticketmaster. Lots of tickets available for that game next week. I think it's against Winnipeg. And it's been the same thing for TFC. And, And you ask about the reaction online. And throughout the pandemic, all I kept hearing from TFC fans is can't wait to get back to BMO. And then they get back to BMO, and they're not selling out. And I think they've had probably their best crowd, I think, was last Saturday night. And it was probably just a bit over 10,000. And a lot of people are still in this. This goes to your conversation about vaccinations. A lot of people are saying, I'm fully vaccinated, but my kids aren't. And I don't know about, you know, if I go to the game, is the guy next to me fully vaccinated? Could I pick up something, take it home to my kids? You know, we just don't know there's still so much to to learn about this virus as you say and, and and i think the the fully vaccinated thing we're seeing it with the universities we're seeing it with travel we're seeing it more and more where and the winnipeg jets requiring everyone to show proof of vaccination in order to go to the game or a proof of a of a you know negative covid test i just want to read you something here and this this goes to your conversation before There is. This is from a CNN article. There is no indication two weeks after Lollapalooza that the music festival contributed to a spike in COVID-19 infections, a Chicago health official said Thursday, despite attracting an estimated 385,000 attendees. So I think in terms of TFC and in terms of all of the other Toronto teams... Even the Blue Jays aren't selling out the Argos probably won't t f c hasn't because people still have questions in their minds, even if they're fully vaccinated. They have questions they have concerns. I think if you mandate full vaccination, show a vaccine passport to get through the door, they might sell more tickets, so we'll see what happens. I think this is an evolving situation not only for TFC, but it will be for the Leafs, the Raptors, Blue Jays, everyone else, as we sort of continue down this road to reopening.
1: That's a great point, Mike. And yeah, if you've got kids in your household, you feel differently about being out and about. And then there's just the economics of it, too, as well. A lot of people have lost jobs because of COVID. And a lot of people maybe say they want to go back and see a game. But when you compound the fear of catching COVID with the economics of the situation—it's—it's it's not an easy time, and these are tough decisions. Then, if you further restrict it to double-vaccinated fans, and the unvaccinated don't go, that's 15 percent or 20 percent, or 18 percent, I guess, in Ontario, that you can't sell tickets to. So, it's quite a conundrum yeah. for for all these sports teams. There's no easy answers, Mike, unfortunately. No, definitely not. And, and you know, as part of this conversation,
5: total side note, part of my job at, at 680 is doing some, some weekend stuff. I spoke to the founder of This Is Our Shot, and you've probably seen their signs behind home plate at Jay's home games. This Is Our Shot is an organization that is working to get information out on the vaccines, uh, getting people vaccinated and, and, and you know, explaining to them what to expect, but they're also providing incentives for people. So if any of your listeners are out there and you're not vaccinated and you'd love to be on the field at some point at Rogers center to throw out the first pitch, maybe consider getting yourself vaccinated because if you do so, you can register with this is our shots website for, and to enter for a chance to win an opportunity to throw out a first pitch at a Blue Jays game. That seems like a pretty cool incentive to me to get, you know, a COVID-19 vaccination. Aside from the, you know, the other great incentive being that you protect yourself and you protect your family. And I'm, I'm getting on a soapbox here for vaccinations, but I think, as you said, we've seen the evidence at this point. We, we've seen that the vaccines are working. So well, if, if that's something that it... Interests anybody out there? Maybe think about it.
1: Well said, Michael. Michael Leach, a soccer reporter, 680 News, joining us to chat. Michael, it is always a treat to speak with you. You stay safe and well. We'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks. You too, Roger. Michael Leach joining us. I'm Roger Leroy. So much to digest about this topic. So many more opinions to read, but we are going to continue to talk about that. And we're going to talk about today's Blue Jay game coming up as well when Sportsnet Today continues. I'm Roger Leroy, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan Roger Lejoie, with you until 10 o'clock. Blue Jay baseball coming up. Ben Wagner has the call right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan. You can also watch a game on Sportsnet or watch it on Sportsnet and listen to Ben's call and uh, enjoy the ball game. Two and a half games back. The Blue Jays are of the wild card. Our poll on Twitter at the Raj 590 is about 45 minutes left for you to vote into. Fully vaccinated only is what the Winnipeg Jets are saying. Fully vaccinated only. 85.1%. Not too restrictive. 14 point, uh, no, too restrictive, pardon me, 14.9%, which goes pretty close to the number of people that are fully vaccinated. 82% in Ontario. Right now, of eligible people, 12 and up, and that's the only people who are eligible uh, for a vaccine at the moment. Interesting discussion. J.R. Manitat is our producer and Andrew Dutch Holland is our fine technical director. Gentlemen, I'd like your view on this. JR Leafs, Raptors, everybody else. How should they sell tickets in your mind in October?
6: Yeah, I think I think uh, going the way that the Jets have uh, laid out earlier this week is the way to go. It's all pretty much all about respect. Um, these are businesses that ha- are like catering to the public. And, you know, we've read text throughout the night. I've I've loved their insights and they've talked about how, you know, the public, uh, the, the businesses have a right to, you know, respect the public. Just like when if you're a smoker, you have to respect other others around you. If you're sm- if you want to smoke. And you're in the house. You got to go outside and go smoke. You can't smoke inside the house. You got to respect each other, respect others around you. So hopefully, when this happens, um, it's it's it just it just helps out with other people to get you know uh, uh, to get vaccinated, and hopefully that we can end this pandemic sooner sooner or later. Um, but yeah, uh, that's my view on it.
1: All right, Jr. Thank you, Andrew. You take a look at the situation. We talked about it off air, but I want your on air comments as to the
7: Leafs and the Raptors, do they follow the Jets? Is this the way to go? Uh, I definitely think it is. I, I just think, as JR said, you have to respect everyone. And as much as it is a personal decision whether you get vaccinated or not, businesses have to make their own decisions about the health and safety of the people coming in to, you know, enjoy their product. And people have a, a right to be in a healthy environment. And and I don't think, or I think if you're not requiring vaccination, you're not fully providing that healthy environment, I I do think that would be a good idea for sure.
1: Well, there's no question the decisions are going to have to be made. JR and Andrew, I want to ask both you guys this. And so as you sit there, you're much younger than I am. I've been back in the ballpark as one of my duties as official scorer of the Toronto Blue Jays. Because I'll start with me, because I'm going to ask you where you guys feel in terms of your degree of comfort of just being out in public and never mind crowds and what have you. Um, we... COVID hit March, 2020. The first opportunity to come back into the studio for us after doing the shows at home was May, 2020. And I leaped at it. Uh, I currently work in a casino and uh, been there for a month, Pickering Casino Resort. And uh, so clearly I'm not intimidated by, by being around crowds. And I say that with a chuckle, but everybody's fully masked. And it's a 50% capacity in a massive facility, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. So, My frame of reference, and and I'm double vaccinated, and I really think that we need to move on. However, however, if I had a 12-year-old at home, I would be thinking and acting very differently, and especially the kids, and Mike Leach brought that up in the discussion. So, JR, I'm curious to you. Have you been to an event yet? Do you plan to go to an event? How do you feel about it? Because that really dictates a lot of us and how we feel society should be operating is how we feel personally.
6: Yeah, I know. We, we've talked about it earlier this week about attending games. I mean, I would love to attend the Blue Jays game as long as, you know, people are respecting my area and, 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 and my wishes about, you know, wearing a mask around if you're not eating. And, um, I mean, I, from what I've heard, it's pretty safe enough uh, to go inside and watch a baseball game at Rogers Center. People do feel safe whether they're wearing a mask or not. I mean, I mean you should, but, I mean, you see a lot of people not wearing masks on TV, but it is what it is. Um, they they I do feel safe and I'm I go to golf I golf a lot I've golf on the weekends although that's a smaller crowd I haven't been to a restaurant in ages I sat down there so I mean, I would love to go to the Rogers Center and watch a baseball game uh, with the crowd with the, the crowd uh, capacity that we have. I'm still on the fence. You know, it just it just it really depends on the situation. I mean, you see the Delta variant COVID cases rising again. People are still getting vaccinated. A lot of people are getting vaccinated. So uh, I would still be on the fence of going um, going to a Jays game or going to a crowded event. Um, but I'm still on the fence on
1: that. I appreciate that response. That's very honest, JR. How about you, Dutch?
7: I I sort of feel a a similar way to JR. I I sometimes ride that fence where, you know, concerns will kind of crop up here and there, and I'll feel maybe a little bit nervous in a situation, but it it rarely happens. It wouldn't stop me from going to a Jays game. JR brought up restaurants, actually, and that's a good point, because I went out to eat for the first time in over a year, Couple weeks you haven't ago. eaten
1: in a year <laughs> oh sorry you went out to a restaurant yes. either for yes. okay <laughs> um
7: and and i felt completely fine uh there everyone was spaced out and servers are all had masks and everything like that and i felt i felt completely fine so whenever i've been in this situation i feel fine and i don't think it would stop me from going to a jays game in fact i would leap at the chance
1: i respect both of your guys honesty and i people who know me and i've said it on air in the 17 months of COVID, i've the only time I have not gone into a sports bar to do my usual thing is when they're closed. I have, I have been in them. I've been in outdoor patios. I've been back inside now that said one or two times, especially early in COVID. I walked in and like the way the place was operating, I walked out immediately, but degree that we all feel safe. And gentlemen, I really appreciate it. J.R. Manitad, Andrew Holland, and all of us, maybe we can learn a little bit, regardless of how we feel personally, let's all respect how the other person is feeling personally. So many people will say, well, what's the problem? You're double vaccinated. You've protected yourself. Why do you care about me? And that double vaccinated person has a 12-year-old or younger child at home and still wants to go out in public and wants to feel safe and wants to make that 99% protection, 99.9, by being in a safe environment as possible. You have to respect him. Freedom is respect for everybody's rights. And yes, we have freedoms unless they interfere with the freedoms of other people. It's a complex, it's a difficult situation, but it's made much better by intelligent discourse. So how about we all agree to turn down the volume? On Twitter at TheRodge590, email roger at sportsnet590.ca. You can text 590, 590 name and location if you're texting. We'll read more later in the show. But coming up in minutes, Josh Goldberg, the host of Jays Talk, talks about the Jays as they head to Seattle for another three-game series. All that's coming up on Sportsnet today. I'm Roger Lujuan, Sportsnet 590 fan.
0: When the sun goes down... <laughs> We up the ante. This is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
1: Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Roger Lajoie. here until 10 o'clock. Blue Jay baseball takes the airwaves at 10 o'clock. Ben Wagner has a call right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Watch the game, of course, on Sportsnet from T-Mobile Park in Seattle. As the Mariners try to hang around that wild card race, the Blue Jays are much further, well, a couple of games ahead of Seattle. And every game is important, especially if it's teams you're chasing and teams just behind you. And that's where the Mariners are after splitting four games against the Angels. They now try to take at least two out of three against Seattle. Josh Goldberg has done a great job of hosting Jay's talk all year on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And he joins us now to talk some Jay's. Great to chat with you, my friend, Josh. Hope you're safe and well. And let's recap the Angels series. You know, all right, you, you lose to Otani. That's going to happen. But winning only two of four against the Angels, it shows you how well this team has been playing, Josh. Because that's kind of a disappointment, no?
8: Yeah, I would say a, a little bit of a disappointment. I, I, maybe a letdown, if not a full-blown disappointment. And you mentioned Otani, and I, I don't think you can really be too upset that you don't win that ball game. It was disappointing that Barrios didn't pitch very well. I think you look back to the first game of the doubleheader that was a really sloppy game of baseball. The Blue Jays have played played pretty clean, really clean, in fact, since they returned home and since the deadline. And that was surprising that they weren't sharp defensively and it just wasn't a well-played game. But I I think if you had said that uh, the Blue Jays were still in position to have a better than 500 uh, Western road trip, that's still not a huge disappointment. But you got to take advantage of of games against teams around 500. And I know that Seattle's only two games back in the standings, but this has got to be an opportunity to win two out of three because uh, I still don't really see much in Seattle. I don't think. That they're all that good of a team.
1: No, they've uh, overachieved. I think everybody agrees with that. So um, this would be an opportunity to kind of put them in the rearview mirror, as the Angels sort of are, and it, it shows you, Josh. And I know Trout's been, you know, been hurt, but you look at the Angels and all that time with Trout, and now with Otani and two all-world players. And they just can't figure it out, can they? So it shows you the teams that think, well, we got a couple of superstars. Eventually, we're going to break through. It takes a lot more than that to win a baseball game, boy.
8: No, no doubt about it. And you, you need good pitching. And for the longest time, the Angels just haven't been able to pitch. In the rotation, in the bullpen, there just hasn't been really any quality or depth. They just haven't had enough. And then the lineup kind of falls apart outside of Trout and, I guess, these days Otani. And they gave Anthony Rendon all that money, and he's been hurt and I don't really know what the answer is. Like I've seen some some linking to Max Scherzer. I don't think the Angels are just Max Scherzer away from being a playoff type of team. And like everyone thinks that the Blue Jays, myself included, are starting what should be a very, very exciting and hopefully long run, sustained run of uh, contending baseball. But the Angels are proof that even star power is not just enough alone to get you into the playoffs year after year. you got to have the star power, but you have to have a good farm system, you have to make smart trades, you have to make smart free agent signings as well if you want to be able to compete in Major League Baseball.
1: Well said, and uh, it is never easy. I'd add another thing too, Josh, and, you know, listen, every time, uh, you know, because you're doing Jay's talk all this year and you've been on the station several years and you know the market as well as I do, but there's always a criticism of anybody on this station when we talk about, well, you guys are just apologists for the Jay's ownership or whatever. But I'm telling you, I'm not apologizing for the fact that this ownership group from uh, Ryu to George Springer, to this trade deadline, to the way they're doing business. Uh, Yeah, it's not exemplary like the Dodgers and, and, and the Yankees crazy, but they have stepped up and put their money where their mouth is. Josh, and you talked about the things you have to do, and you're so right. You have to have pitching. You have to have uh, depth. You have to have a bullpen. You also have to have an ownership that's willing to stick it out. You can have a short run. They had short runs in 15-16. You can can catch lightning in a bottle. The Florida Marlins won two World Series after all. But if you want sustained success, you have to give people the ability and confidence so you're willing to pay for it. And listen, in the last two, three years, it's pretty hard to criticize them.
8: Well, the, the old adage is somewhat, let's call it short-term pain for long-term gain. And the, the pain was not super, super short-term. Like 17, 18, and 19 were all really brutal, but you could start to see by 2019 that the work was starting to pay off a little bit and the farm system had been rebuilt and some of the players had, had made their move up uh, in, into the big league picture and then last year they surprised in a 60 game season it wouldn't have made the playoffs in 162 but they did in 60, good experience and then more of the same this year and instead of you know resting on your laurels and saying we're going to be a, a draft and develop type of team, like you said, they went out and were aggressive and spent money on Ryu a couple of years ago Springer, Simeon and then the last rung on the i guess ladder of roster building is to trade prospects for impact level talent and they did that at the deadline for Jose Barrios so they don't really have anything left to prove aside from just continuing to do that, but now that they actually have shown that they're capable and willing to do uncomfortable things to put themselves in the best possible position to win ball games, you should feel good that they're going to continue doing that because I think this front office, they've made it very clear in some of their comments over the course of the past few months of this entire season, they know that the opportunity is really good with this young core to win, and they understand that, and I really do believe that with ownership, in lockstep, that they're going to really pour a bunch of resources into this team to make the next, uh, I don't know, five-plus years hopefully really special and memorable for the fan base.
1: That's indeed the hope. And when you have a player like Vladdy Jr., who's, you know, for the most part of this season, given the month of August, which has been pretty tough for him, we've talked about that ad nauseum, and I've heard you guys talk about it on Blue Jay Talk, of course, over and over again, has been so terrific. And only 22 is one of the building blocks but, Josh, your sense of, of, you know, is it just a matter of time before he burst out here? Or, or is it a case, you know, maybe he does need a, a little bit more time off? I mean, it the season had gone just so well... Uh, right until the the 1st of August. It was a dream season. It was an MVP candidate. And if you're an MVP candidate in a year where Showitani's got 38 home runs and is is one of the best pitchers in baseball, you know you're really having a season. But what's your make on the recent scuttles? And is there any way to do it except just keep trotting them out there and they'll figure it out?
8: Yeah, I I don't think that you have the luxury. You're in a, a playoff race. He's been your best hitter by far, All season and you're just, you're not as good of a lineup without his presence in it. And I understand, you know, that you want to give him a couple of reset days. Like, I think he understands what's going on right now. He's probably pressing. We've talked about this that, you know, sometimes just. You get in your own head a little bit. I do think that there is an element of fatigue a little bit. It's the first time he's he's going to try and play close to 162 games in his career. He's been out there virtually every single day, right at first base as well. So I I don't think that there's suddenly been this erosion of talent. I don't think that that is remotely the case here. I just think it's a, a, a multitude of things of fatigue, pressing a little bit. Pitching has adjusted to him, throwing more fastballs on the outer part of the plate, and then you get a little bit aggressive and you press and you you get out of your comfort zone, and it leads to some negative results. But I, I just have continued to maintain positivity when it comes to him. I'm not gonna abandon ship whatsoever. I, I truly do believe that uh, it's it's gonna be like uh, like a match. All it's gonna take is a little spark to light the inferno that will be him getting hot again and going on a run where he could carry this lineup single-handedly in some respects all the way to the playoffs. I have very little doubt that that's not too far on the horizon.
1: I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Josh Goldberg is with us, host of Blue Jays Talk, and Josh and Rob Wong will have it after the ball game tonight. 10 o'clock start, Seattle Mariners and the Blue Jays' first of a three-game series. Jays enter tonight's play two-and-a-half back, of that final wild card birth. It's going to be a f- lot of fun. These last six weeks. The improvement in starting pitching. You know Josh. If we if we looked at the Jays first. I'll say 80 games. First half of the season. Compared to the second half. The first half was dominated by bullpen. In, in coding, uh injuries. Uh, subpa cl- uh, class. Starting pitching. So the bullpen got overtaxed. The second half. All right, we've, had, we've seen Vladdy's had the slump. Maybe they haven't been as electric offensively on a more consistent basis. Yeah. Oh, they just won 14 out of 17 games. So, however, but they've been a little less. But my goodness, the starting pitching has went from nothing but question marks outside of Ryu in the first half to pretty darn good as it sets up. And today, tonight's starter, Robbie Ray, the best example of that.
8: Yeah, you gotta like that the rotation's in a really good spot here over the next, I guess, close to two months of the season, a little bit less than two months. You've got four guys for the most part, by and large, that you trust can win you a baseball game every time they take the ball. And Steven Matz is not a bad fifth starter to have in your rotation. So that's a really good spot to be that. You're not always going to need to win ball games nine four, nine six or something like that. You have the opportunity to win the odd three two game or four two game. I understand that the bullpen still has some question marks. There's a couple of guys who are hurt. Mesa and Soria. Maybe they're back next week in Washington to provide some reinforcements, but the bullpen's still in a better spot than it was a couple of weeks ago. So you got to just feel better about the overall state of affairs of the pitching that it just doesn't feel like it's all on the offense night after night outside of when Ray starts or when Ryu starts. Now you've got Manoa who's come into his own Barrios outside of last night was excellent in his first two starts. So you just feel like there's a little bit more of a safety net or margin for error if the offense isn't quite as good when you have quality and depth in that starting rotation
1: so josh when we look at the jays playoff aspirations chances you got to look at the other teams around them let's take a couple of minutes and and discuss those so we already alluded to the fact that the angels are 500 not a factor seattle a series win here and a series sweep here could really put the mariners out of the mix but the crunch teams you know remain uh, the oakland a's the boston red Sox, and the new york yankees and in particular i just like your read on the red sox who you talk about a team that's been up and down because at times this year, they've been on such a role. I think most people generally would assess their season to date as a whole balance as a little bit of overachieving because I don't think anyone thought you won the Red Sox had yeah. the lead in the division early and people were considering that a surprise. So it's not surprise, I guess, where they are in the standings, but how they got there and how badly they've been playing uh, recently. Does that make it even more possible? Because if all the Jays really have to do is... Is catch the the Red Sox or the Yankees or preferably both and be in a great position uh, to be in the postseason and they have games against both those teams uh, still on the docket. But what do you think in particular of Boston?
8: I I have been saying all season long, Rog, that I don't see it with Boston. They overachieved, no question, in in the first, really half of the season, up until the All-Star break. It was no secret that they had a really good lineup, but their rotation not on paper, wasn't good without Chris Sale It overachieved. Bullpen was really good. A lot of unsung guys stepped it up. They were winning a lot of close games, coming back to win a lot of close games. And then all of a sudden in the blink of an eye and basically turning on a dime, the rotation has cratered and the bullpen has started to show cracks and they've cooled off offensively as well. Now you look at their remaining strength of schedule. They got a bunch of series against Baltimore, Minnesota. They've got a lot of also rants on their schedule and they're beating up on Baltimore 7-1 to right now. So that is a little bit of a factor. They're probably the team that, you know, they brought everyone back into play. They led the division and now they're five back. I still don't buy the Yankees that much, uh, their starting pitching's been better, but there's still question marks there injuries in the bullpen, inconsistencies in the bullpen, and a really strikeout heavy lineup, even with the additions of Rizzo and Gallo. I think Oakland is going to be the, the trickiest team to overcome, and I don't really have a good explanation as to why because you look at each respective roster of all of these four teams, and Oakland has the least pound-for-pound talent, but they're better than the sum of their parts the way that the Rays are better than the sum of their parts. It always seems to happen with Oakland. Jays have a, a three-game set with them on Labor Day weekend which could be very telling but if I had to pick two teams that I think that the Blue Jays will have a better chance of finishing above in the standings it's New York and Boston as opposed to Oakland
1: yeah isn't that a change <laughs> when you think about all the years that the Jays so what the problem is are in the American League East it's not the problem in the American League East anymore maybe Oakland uh, that stops in the way uh, however that all said, just a word on that Field of uh, Dreams game last night, yeah. Josh. I don't like to wax poetic about that stuff, to be honest with you. But, my God, I was impressed. Like, I just thought that was, like, the coolest thing. And, of course, the Yankees losing the way they did. If you don't like the Yankees and you're cheering for the Jays, you love the ending of the game. But baseball takes a lot of criticism. But, boy, that was a fun night of baseball last
8: night. It sure was. You're, and you're right about baseball taking a lot of criticism, and a lot of it is deserved. But it's you know, the w- most watched regular season Telecast in 16 years, I believe, since 2005. So it does go to show, uh, goes to show that there is an appetite for a product if it's, I guess, presented in the right way. Part of this was the novelty, the first time you're seeing it. If they do it again next year, which I imagine they will after what a smashing success it was, maybe it won't. Generate as much interest and as much eyeballs, but I do always think that there is going to be something cool about that game being played. The throwback uniforms, the corn feel, just the the uh, the the Hollywood majestic feel to it. It didn't feel too hokey or anything like that. It had an authentic feel to it. I was honestly really surprised at, at how well it held up and uh, yeah, I hope that they uh, do it again in, in years to come because it seems like a I can't miss, can't uh, lose proposition and major league baseball needs more of those considering their track. record. Yeah. I
1: loved it. It was a lot of fun. It was, I reminded me of when the NHL first did outdoor games, to be yeah. honest with you, it was just, it yep. had that kind of vibe, vibe to it and I, I kind of, should have mentioned the these guys earlier but here we are we i mentioned okay so oakland i agree with you is the team that you know the jays may have the most difficulty catching um i i don't think the yankees are as good as they're advertised either i agree boston but boy josh every year tampa bay is a not every year but in most of the last 15 years we have all started by dismissing tampa bay tampa bay can't do it tampa bay can't and a couple of times they have not been able to do it. But in particular, the last two years, I don't know how they do it, but they're doing it again. And and you just look at the team and you talk about some of parts. And yeah, it's a very good baseball team. And they made a couple of nice moves even to augment. But it doesn't matter what they do. The next guy in line in that organization steps up. And now they've got a five-game lead in the division.
8: Yeah, it's it's really frustrating because they make moves that, I guess spit in the face of how teams conventionally look, go about trying to win. They develop players and they sign players. Like Blake Snell was a homegrown prospect who won the Cy Young, who was very much in his prime, still under team control for a couple of years. And instead of saying, hey, he started game six of the World Series, let's hang on to him, see if we can win the World Series next year. No, they traded him for a bounty and they didn't bring back Charlie Morton. And the replacements were Michael Waka and Chris Archer and Rich Hill, who they also traded. And you just think to yourself, well, how are they going to do this? How, how are they going to manage to win games in the American League East? And they do it in a strange way. They have a bunch of uh, funky arm angle uh, bullpen arms who throw – mid to high 90s and, and strike guys out and can get outs and leverage spots and then their lineup doesn't have a ton of household name star power until they added Nelson Cruz but it's it's deep and it's scrappy and it's relentless and they don't give up a lot in terms of easy outs and they just kind of wear you down like they're, they're not a team that, that bludgeons you to death it's kind of like a death by a million paper cuts when you play them a little bit but they take advantage of your weaknesses they wait for you to shoot yourself in the foot And then they pounce big time. And it's a really, really frustrating model to go up against. But I'm beyond trying to doubt the Tampa Bay Rays. Every time they do something that I think doesn't make sense or I would think would be a a dumb move, it ends up working out. So until further notice, the Rays are just gonna be a force to be reckoned with in the American League East, and it's just unfortunate that the Blue Jays have to play them nineteen times every season.
1: Yeah, it never changes except now it's the American League East is have to play Tampa Bay 19 times not so much the Red Sox and the Yankees you kind of look forward to those games as opposed to playing uh, Tampa Bay and tonight of course the lineup remains the same for the Blue Jays as they take on uh, Seattle you look one to nine Um, Josh if Laddie gets that bat going back again that's the thing that's most encouraging and for this team to get back to Toronto in the same kind of position they are now. Obviously, you want to be even closer. But, Josh, if there's, say, two games back of a wild card heading into next weekend and a homestand coming up in Toronto, if fans thought those first 11 home games were were fun, just wait.
8: Oh, yeah. Like you got and you got Detroit and you've got Baltimore coming up as well like the the next couple of weeks are going to be really fascinating for the Blue Jays because they got a ton of winnable series outside of the White Sox the the rest of the month of August is a lot of teams that the Blue Jays should be uh feasting on Detroit's Baltimore Washington for a couple of games even this series against Seattle should be one where the Blue Jays are favored in every one of those games so like I I really do believe that September is going to be be like something we haven't seen since 2015 even 2016 it didn't have quite the same feel because that team just it wasn't the same type of team they did it on pitching and they they really backdoored their way into the playoffs late on the final weekend of the season this just feels like the start of something long and special and I I just feel like in some ways you're kind of playing with house money like whatever ends up happening in September you're back in Toronto for the first time in a couple years playing meaningful baseball yes it would still be disappointing to not make the playoffs, but to at least give yourself a chance in front of your home fans again uh, for the first time in almost two years, you really can't ask for much more.
1: You can't, indeed. It'll be a lot of fun. That means it's must-listen radio tonight. Ben Wagner has a call at ten o'clock. Robbie Ray on the hill for the Blue Jays game, also on Sportsnet, and right after the game is always on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan and the Sportsnet radio network, Jays Talk with Rob Wong and Josh Goldberg. Josh joining us here tonight. Josh. Stay well, my friend. Great to chat with you. Enjoy the game tonight, pal. Good catching up, Raj. Thank you, sir. Josh Goldberg doing a great job on Jay's Talk on Sportsnet 590, the fan. It is exciting. There is no doubt there's still a lot of work to do. You can't sugarcoat it because, you know, you look at the schedule, and Josh is right. You see the Tigers. You see the Orioles. You see the Nationals. You go, ah, wins, wins, wins. Yankees have a lot of... Uh, twins as well. Yankees have a lot of games left against them. And even though it's Boston... Up on the Jays by a couple of games and Oakland two and a half back. It's the Yankees still being a half game ahead of the Jays. And I agree with Josh. I'm not I'm not sold on the Yankees, but I would like that distance cleared up because that's a team that can pound you too. Pitching is not good enough, but that's a great lineup as well. So we'll see. And either way, is this going to be fun? Ten o'clock tonight. Blue Jays and the Mariners. We got lots of text and emails to catch up on, and we will do that on our subject of the day. Should you be double vaccinated before you go into a large crowd indoors at a sporting event? Is that the right decision to make? The Winnipeg Jets have already made it. Do you think teams should do it? What are your thoughts? What's your degree of comfort in going? Very welcome. We'll update the poll, read them, and... Damien Warner, one of Canada's many, many Olympic heroes, was on the leadoff. We'll play that for you as well, all before 10 o'clock. At Sportsnet Tonight, I'm Roger LeJoie on SportsNet 590, the fan. Oh, oh. There she's st- Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Roger Lejoie here until 10 o'clock. Blue Jay baseball is coming up at 10 o'clock. And it will be another important series for the Blue Jays. And yeah, do we say that all the time? Well, we do for good reason. It is. There's 48 games left to go in the season. They're two and a half games back of a wild card spot. Seattle is only two games back of the Blue Jays. All the games are important. And this series in particular, three-game series... Against a team you should win on the road is another, yes, big one. Robbie Ray has the ball for the Blue Jays today, and we'll see if he can get it done. We have had great response on our Twitter poll here tonight, at the Rog 590 on Twitter. You can also email your comments, roger at sportsnet590.ca, or text the show, 590-590. And we've got 10 minutes left in the poll, so if you're quick, you can get your vote in. And the poll question is rather simple. The Jets announced that all fans attending NHL games must be fully vaccinated. There are no exceptions. They want to play their games to full capacity. And the only way they're going to be allowed to play the games to full capacity is to provide or ask for and let fans provide proof of full vaccination. So it's a business decision. You can argue, well, it's a health decision. It's the right thing to do. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But they're doing it for business. So, my question for you tonight should all other teams do the same? So, if you're a Leaf season ticket holder, if you're a Raptor season ticket holder, is that what they should do? Is that what you want them to do? And as if you've been listening to the show tonight, we've had a lot of emotional comments going back and forth on this issue because it is a sensitive one for a lot of reasons. However, It's pretty dominant. Eighty five point three percent of you on our poll tonight on Twitter say yes, fully vaccinated only. Eighty five point three percent, 14 point seven percent say no, it's too restrictive. And by the way, that kind of ties in very, very closely to the vaccination rates here in our province in Ontario. It's really quite similar it's 82% have taken a vaccine so far. But even some people earlier and we'll read more comments coming up uh, shortly. I want to get to one of our uh, top interviews of the week here, but even people who have taken both vaccines some have argued that they don't like that idea. So your comments are welcome and they've been they've been good ones. Speaking of good ones, there was a well, not good, it was a great interview. Damian Warner was one of many of Canada's Olympic heroes. And what a great Olympics he had. He won the gold in Tokyo and really was the centerpiece. The centerpiece of Canada's great Olympic uh, performance. Of course, uh, the Canadian women dominating the men was a bigger story. But Damian Warner certainly uh, made history. He was on the leadoff with Scotty Mack and Gord Stellick. Let's listen in. Since you've been home, how
9: are you? Yeah. And how busy have you been? Hey, it's, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's been a little crazy since I've got home. Uh, it's been a little crazy since the decathlon ended, actually. Uh, I think we had two hours sleep uh, in Tokyo and then had to do a bunch of media stuff, and it's kind of been a whirlwind since. But uh, it's, been, uh, it's been fun. Now, watching, which
0: we did with interest, and actually uh, had a compatriot in second place at some point, so it was really exciting for Canadian fans. So all these events... In your head, is it kind of that everything went according to Hoyle or was there a blip that you said, oh, geez, I kind of didn't do what I wanted to do in this event and then others that maybe you did a little bit better? I mean, how was that whole ride from what you thought?
9: Yeah, I think as athletes, we're, we're perfectionists in a way and we wanted the events to go perfectly. Uh, never does, but uh, this went really, really well. Um, all the events were, were solid. There was no events that were kind of... Uh, anchoring me down or anything like that and yeah it was just kind of went according to plan for once and it was a a nice little change.
10: Damian Warner is Canada's Olympic decathlete and he is with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590 the fan so we had a little chat with your coach or one of your coaches Dennis Nielsen earlier this week and he gave us a lot of intel and it was fantastic. I'm hung up on this and and others have tried to fill in the blanks but now we're coming to you for this. How do you train for what you do? Because you sprint, you run long, you jump high, you jump long, you throw a shot put, you throw a discus, you throw a javelin. And I would say, Damien, what does a day of training look like for you? But that probably wouldn't be enough. What does a week, two weeks, a month look like for you so that you can do everything you need to do and while doing it, ensuring you're not compromising yourself in other areas of your training.
9: Yeah, exactly. That's the tricky thing about the decathlon is that there's just so many different events and, and so little time. And uh, it's kind of like a, bu- a balancing act. So we focus a lot on our strengths and all at the same time trying to improve our weaknesses that we have. And it's uh, I think that's the reason why I like the decathlon is because there's always room for improvement. There's always... Uh, since we don't have so much time to focus on each individual event, like a specialist uh, that always leaves uh, room for us to grow. So it's kind of like a puzzle. You're trying to put all these pieces together and uh, you never really kind of grasp it all, but it's a, it's a, it's a great challenge. And it's something that I I really enjoy. So is there,
10: I'm drilling down here. Is there like a throw day? Is there a day that Uh, you're running sprints? Is there a day you're running long? Like what does it look like?
9: Yeah, so like what we try to do is we try to like break the training up. So we usually pair like a run and a jump or a run, a jump, and a throw. Um, so we're never necessarily just only doing a run on one day and a jump on another day. We're kind of like pairing some of the events, sometimes in the order of the, of the decathlon and sometimes just kind of uh, based on availability of facilities and things like that. So it's it's always a, a challenge to schedule it, and uh, that's why uh, the coaches have a, such a challenging job.
0: Okay, Okay. so the, the training, the complexity of training, but how does it start in the first place? Like, what are you really, you're obviously good at something, and then you say, okay, I'm going to try another event or two. And then does someone say, you know what, if you're doing a couple events, you should look at doing 10 events. And then all of a sudden, it spreads from there. So what, what, where's the genesis of things for you, and how did it grow when you cut, and you start considering, yeah, decathlon?
9: Uh, yeah, so like when I was in high school, I started out as a jumper. So I did long jump, triple jump, high jump. And then uh, when I got later on in my high school career, we started um, doing some of the sprints. So I did the 100 meters and 200. And when I was about to leave high school, um, my coaches suggested I try the decathlon. And didn't really know what that was at the time, but we kind of pursued it anyways. And, yeah, it's, that's kind of how it went. Um, and then from there, we kind of just brought some other people on the board. And I learned to hurdle, learned to pole vault. Uh, learn to throw discus, javelin, things like that. So um, it's it's kind of been a, a fun little journey, uh, learning all these different events. Because that, that, I think that's the cool thing about the decathlon is that all the events are so different. Um, so there's always challenges of learning them all.
10: With Damian Warder on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So you, you talked in high school that you were a jumper. Would you define that as your strength? Like if you if you were to say, I'm out of all of... The skills out of all of the sports i 'm best at this, and then rank them downward, what would you say is your best, and then two three four type thing
9: yeah so um, jumps the uh, jumps are the ones that I started out with, and those were my my best events, but I think over time the speed events have become my my strength you know the hundred meters, the hurdles uh, I think you get most of the points from those, but also long jump has kind of come on uh, as of the last little while, and it's it 's one of my strong events so uh, definitely the speed and the power events um, and some of the thrower, throwing events or the pole vault, the javelin, uh, the technical events are the ones that give me and uh, a lot of decathletes the most problems.
0: So watching the human side, Damien, no fans there, which was unfortunate because you missed that. I'm sure you missed it there. We missed it on TV. Uh, then at the end, I wasn't sure what happened because someone else on the final running event seemed really happy. And I go, oh, don't tell me he lost. But then you looked and you reacted. But I really like that your friends and family back, they were going crazy. So they that gave me a sense that something really good happened. And uh, uh, out of a negative, case, seemed to come a positive that you got to deal with them directly uh, v- versus reviewing. FaceTime was was that a real cool thing to be, to be able to get to your family and friends that quickly?
9: Oh, uh, for sure. I, I think it's one of those things where when we found out that family and friends weren't going to be able to travel to Tokyo is obviously a big blow because when I look back to 2012 and 2016, those were uh, my first Olympics and the experiences that I've had, the things that I take away the most are the experiences with family. Uh, so it was tough when they weren't able to come. Um, but at the same time with social media and text messages and, and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff, uh, I was able to see my, my, family celebrating back home. Uh, and then obviously we have a great camaraderie amongst the decathletes. So on the track, um, we were kind of hugging each other, congratulating each other. And then, uh, we did, there was something that happened this time that doesn't usually happen The tap on computers at the same time. So, uh, those guys were there, uh, congratulating us as well. So it was, it was still a really cool atmosphere considering, but, um, yeah, it would have been awesome to have the family there for sure.
10: With Damian Warner on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. So you, you won a bronze in 2016 in Rio and, of course, a, a gold uh, just now in, in Tokyo. And one of your rivals, and I would assume he's a pal of yours, as you say, the decathletes are close, Kevin Meyer, uh, won silver both in 16 and, and this year in Tokyo. I, I'm wondering, Damian, what you took away from your experience in Rio, if anything, that helped vault you uh up to up to the gold what what did you learn five years ago if anything that applied to tokyo 2021
9: yeah so i think it it allowed me to have an experience that i think a lot of athletes are looking for so a lot of athletes are looking to qualify for the games in the first place and uh, i got that experience in 2012 and it was amazing and then in 2016 i i was in hindsight lucky enough to to get on the podium uh, and I was a little disappointed because I believed that I could could have won the gold there but uh, wasn't ready for it at the time um, but I was able to stand on the podium and that's something that a lot of athletes look forward And I knew that coming into these games I, I qualified for the games before I stood on the podium so I knew this time uh, I could just kind of go for it and uh, try to win that gold medal and nothing else really mattered you know so I think it gave me that freedom to kind of attack the event and it was just a uh, it was it was kind of freeing it was really special and, and when I look back on 2016 and how disappointed I was there's nothing really to be that disappointed about because I stood on the podium with two other guys they're both world record holders both scored over nine thousand in their careers and uh, it's now it's a, a really cool picture
0: no um, do, do you have a plan in mind are you going to consider things or or is this it like did you have a plan as far as moving forward once you've
9: done this um so I don't really have any plans necessarily for the the long-time future after I'm done with sport but I'm not I'm not done um I'm just at my best right now I'm healthy and uh looking forward to the the near future so we have world championships next year um and then we have a, a packed 2 3 years after that before Paris so um definitely definitely going to be around. And after Paris, then I think that's when you can start asking me those questions.
10: And and w- like what's on the docket here in the near term? Um, do you take some downtime? I mean, there would be some celebrating responsibly, of course, in a pandemic, but is is there a down period? How quickly do you get back to training, et cetera?
9: Yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be a down period. I think that after you spend uh, five or so years working towards a specific goal and that comes and it works out really well. I think it's important to take the time and just kind of enjoy the moment. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. Um, we've traveled much less than usual, but still a lot. I was away for uh, a decent chunk of time between my two competitions this year. Um, so that was away from Jen and Theo. So now with this off season, it'll be off season. It'll be nice to just kind of, uh, hang around and, and do some things with the family for the next little while.
1: Damien Warner going to take it easy and then he's going to get right back at it again. Still young in his prime. Looking forward to Paris in three years now. Excellent stuff. Damien Warner from the lead off with uh, Gord Stalek and Scotty Mack uh, earlier today. I'm Roger Lejoie. Great stuff there. And you know, Canada's Olympic performance was tremendous. Most medals we've ever won as a nation. I think finishing 11th, I believe, overall in uh, in the medal standings. And a great performance by our country. And... Every, I was going to say every four years, but it's five years since the last Olympics. And now another one coming in three. We get an opportunity to see just how special uh, those Olympians are. So another terrific Olympics in the books for sure. Another great feedback session here from all of you. And I hopefully will be able to get to most of them here before the top of the hour. Ben Wagner is going to take you to Blue Jays baseball in Seattle. We'll have Jays talk right after the game with uh, Rob Wong and Josh Goldberg. Our poll is wrapping up. The Winnipeg Jets made a major decision and announced it this week. If you want to come to their games this year, there will be full capacity and you must be fully vaccinated. That is the decision they have made. NHL and NBA teams are going to have to make that same decision. It's not like baseball. It's not outdoors. They want full capacity. So if you want full capacity, is that the right move? Eighty five percent of you agree with that and not coincidentally in coincidentally, I should say, 82 percent of people in Ontario, at least, have already taken their first vaccine and seventy four point five, something like that, have taken their second. We'll give you the final results of the poll and we'll give your opinions as well in moments. It's Sportsnet Tonight. I'm Roger Lajoie on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet Tonight, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Roger Lejoie here until 10 o'clock. We've had such great feedback tonight about our poll question on whether or not the Winnipeg Jets and other teams that are doing or considering doing the same thing in making their attendance requirement mandatory that you have two vaccines. Canadian government also announcing today and part of yesterday as well, they're insisting their employees are double vaccinated. You are going to need to be double vaccinated to get on an airplane in this country. You are going to be needed to be double vaccinated to be on a train, uh, working in a government business, healthcare workers. So that's a different issue when it's required for your job because let's face it, it's your job, it's your career. That's one thing. That's a separate debate. But to go to a sporting event, how should teams handle this? How should they do it? How should they go about selling tickets? What is the best and safest thing for any of these individuals to do? Uh, not individuals, but teams to do. The Jets made that decision. Your thoughts are welcome. And, uh, boy, you've had a lot of great thoughts tonight, which we really, uh, really do appreciate uh, them. Let's uh, get a few more on before we finalize the poll for you, because, as I check it, it has just gone final. 848 Percent of you say yes, it should be fully vaccinated only. And 15.2 percent say no, it is too restrictive. So, why did you feel that way? Let's check out the text at 590, 590. Ruth Ann from Toronto says 100% yes, they should be double vaccinated. I applaud you having this conversation. Thank you. You have choices, and your choices have consequences and outcomes. Thank you, Ruth Ann. Um, Michael in Newmarket. Says, hey, Raj. I don't care how the anti-vaxxers feel. They aren't welcome. We've been shut down far longer than needed, and this next wave is their fault. I am a season ticket holder for the Argos, and I hope they only accept the vaccinated. Michael in Newmarket. Thank you again, Michael. Argos being an outdoor in an outdoor stadium, very different situation. Uh, both the Blue Jays and the Argos uh, started their scheduling and tickets under uh, government regulations where they can only play to a certain capacity. And I I repeat this again, the Winnipeg Jets making their decision to go to the fully vaccinated is largely a result of they've decided they need full capacity. And they were quite clear about that in media interviews representatives of the team did. They want a full arena. And the only way the government of Manitoba is going to give the Winnipeg Jets the opportunity to fill up an indoor arena in the winter During a fourth wave of a pandemic, is it if everybody's double vaccinated? So the Jets say, there it is. And if you don't like it, we're really sorry, but you can't come. So Argo's a little bit different. Zach in Etobicoke says, what do these people do not understand? Being vaccinated means the effects are controlled. Seatbelts, non-smoking, car insurance. We have plenty of examples of requirements to protect others. Zach, thank you. That was an ongoing part of the discussion, too. And, you know, several texters earlier in the show were talking about, well, I don't need the vaccine. I haven't taken it. I don't trust it. I don't know what the long-term effects are. And, And listen, again, we welcome all opinions here. And you hear that. But one of the commonalities of that is the word I was used about 15 times in the defense of why you're not doing it. What Zach in Etobicoke is saying, and a lot of our other texters, tweeters, and emailers have been saying the same vein is they didn't take the vaccine just for themselves. They took it for the good of everybody else. Zach, thank you. Kevin says, vaccinated or unvaccinated does not change your ability to carry the virus. Vaccination only potentially protects you from more serious illnesses. Therefore, not allowing unvaccinated uh, people into a venue is not, not changing the danger for anyone in the arena, except for the unvaccinated who have chosen that route. So to answer your question, I don't believe restricting access to unvaccinated people makes any sense. But there is such a misunderstanding about these facts that I understand why the Jets would take this position for their business. Kevin, thank you. You know, I would really welcome the opportunity at some point, and maybe it'll be the Leafs and the Raptors as well, to talk to members of the organizations that are making these decisions right now and getting from their mouths their rationale, their research, their decision-making in what led to that decision. Because I, I part of my career, I've, I've worn a lot of hats and I've done work for the Ottawa Senators in the past and I know how hard it is for them to sell tickets in the best of times. And then to impose a restriction on, what is it now, 18% of the population that you can't come in just so you can have the opportunity to have a full stadium makes it even that much tougher. And then when you compound, there's nothing these sports teams are compounding. We all say we're all in this together, right? Well, we are and we aren't because a lot of us in March of 2020 just took our laptops, went home, and that was bad, and we had to raise our kids, and it was frustrating, and it's tough mentally, and I'm not saying it wasn't tough for you too, but compare that to somebody in the sports and entertainment or people gathering business or transportation or airlines or what have you that on top of that, having to battle this, had their livelihoods taken away so it is not the same for everybody and so to so the point being is you know well the the vaccinated the unvaccinated is like people want to absolutely do everything to the max to keep the numbers down we cannot eradicate this this is not about eradicating covid it is eradicating a pandemic covid's not going away but maybe we can get rid of the pandemic if we do this properly and if we don't do it properly and open up hockey arenas to 20,000 unvaccinated people, I don't think I have to tell anybody what happens again. I think that is the message in the issue. Appreciate the text. It's a great comment. Uh, Warren in, Muskoga's in uh, Muskoka pardon me, is enjoying the show. And Warren, enjoying uh, getting your text. Thank you. He says, we all have to learn to live with COVID because it's not going to go away. So let's all start going along with life and do whatever you want. Freedom. Thank you, sir. I I won't elaborate much on that because, again, without the context of of the text, I hear you in terms of doing what we want, but we've got to be cognizant of what other people. Remember earlier I used the example, and I'm of a vintage, uh, where I remember this very well. I was on an airplane with my uncle, and he must have smoked three packs of cigarettes when we were flying to Halifax for my grandfather's funeral. This is late 60s. I almost choked. But you know what? People look at you. Well, what's your problem? That's the way they... Well, why did they stop that? Why did they take away my uncle's freedom to smoke on an airplane? Because they found out it was hurting my health. So his freedom was suspended for the public health of me and everybody sitting around him. Is this really anything different? Jim in Oakville. Hi, Roger. I was on the road and listening for the first hour during the Blue Jays segment. Some thoughts... We shouldn't depend too much hope on Pearson and Merriweather's return. Their sample size is injury filled and prone. Merriweather was injured when we acquired him. My opinion is not as categoric about Seattle being buried if swept, because that's baseball. You never know the concept of sample size again. Jim, thank you. Much appreciated. Let's squeeze in one more uh, quickly. Donnie in Orangeville says My friend and I went to the Blue Jay game at Skydome last week, and we decided to go to the game. However, do people need to be fully vaccinated? I'm not sure. I'm fully vaccinated. My friend isn't. And I think people here in Canada need to uh, be serious with the mass situation, minus their opinion. If they can see a game, they have to follow the rules that are provided. It's a sensitive, it's a tough issue, folks. Let's get through it together. I'm Roger Lajoie. Ben Wagner's got Blue Jay Baseball. Jay's talk after the game. Thanks to Andrew Holland. Thanks to J.R. Manitad. Thanks to you all. Stick around. I'll be in the good show chair 9 to noon next week. But now, it's Blue Jay Baseball next on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Roger Lajoie. It's done!
0: Roger Lajoie. I like that. I like that a lot. Good night, everybody!